Hey everybody, welcome back to Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number five. This week, uh, we're going to be talking about The Handmaiden. Um, before we get into all that, it's me, John Burke, here as always with Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And this week, we have a special guest, our mutual friend that we've been talking about on both of the podcasts for a while now. He has finally yeah. graced us with his presence. What did you say, Corey? I said mutual friend. With quotations. Okay, I was like, are you doing quote fingers? Because I can't see that. <laughs> I am. I was. Um, And that is Brendan. Hello, hello. Ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> so, How's the name? Um, this, this movie, uh, by kind of coincidence, Brendan suggested that we watch this movie for the podcast at the very same day that I had rented it um, from Fandango Now. So I was like, well, that's pretty perfect timing. Um, so... We are. We made plans last week to uh, have Brendan come on the show, and um, this is going to be our first episode of the movie club with three people. So we'll, we're not sure if it's going to be a little longer. Um, so bear with us as we kind of work through the, the different format. On that note, um, I want to reiterate that this is uh, this podcast is listed as explicit, and the first four episodes have not been very explicit. I think I've said maybe one or two curse words, um, but we've kept it still pretty tame. However. This movie this week uh, definitely falls into that explicit territory, and uh, since we have a guest, um, we're giving him free reign, so heads up, uh, if he feels like cursing, he might curse, and if he doesn't, well, that's okay, too. We don't really care, but, you know, um, so just a heads up, if you are uh, a listener with sensitive ears, you may want to um, not listen to this particular episode, and again, if you have virgin eyes, you may not want to watch The Handmaiden. Mm -hmm. Um, as you will be introduced to things that maybe you shouldn't see just yet. Um, on that note, though, as we usually do on Movie Club, we're going to talk about movies coming out into the theater next week. And uh, there are three pretty big releases, actually, for uh, the first time since um, early January. I think there hasn't really been an, a, a huge week with three big movies coming out. Um, three big, not necessarily good, but three big movies coming out next week. Um <laughs> We'll start with the animated one that I'm super excited for, um, and that is the Lego Batman movie. Uh, Corey, have you seen the trailer for the Lego Batman movie? I have. It looks it looks like it could be fun. Um, I definitely like the people that are doing the voiceovers in it. The music kind of put me off in the trailer, but it looks like it could be fun. Probably not one I'm going to check out in the theaters, though. What was what's what's the song that put you off? Of? Oh my god, I can't even remember now. I feel like um, it was, was a cover. Song. Yeah, well, that's it's already a bad song, and then it was a bad cover, and it was just <laughs> even worse. I'm not sure, but I I don't remember what the song was either. But I feel like I really liked the song. Which... Oh no! And then I'm fired. <laughs> no, no, um, that sounds about right for our music. That's why we don't do a music podcast together, Corey. It would never work. Um, that's true. It would be word. It would just be me making three. fun of Ryan Adams over and over again, and and every once in a while throwing an Mbop reference at you. But okay, but hold on a second because he has a new album coming out soon, so I'm done. And Corey knew about it. <laughs> Nobody else. Um, of course I did. So, <laughs> uh, Brendan, have you seen the Lego Batman trailer? I have. I think that it's. I mean, it's bound to be good. I feel like with the talent involved, with the strength of the first movie, which I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I yeah. went in expecting to enjoy it or, you know, at least not think I had wasted my time. But I was overwhelmed by my response to it. And 
you know, they seem to be patterning it exactly after that. Yeah, it looks, um, I mean, Will Arnett was one of my favorite parts of the Lego movie in the first place as Batman. So, and I love Will Arnett from Arrested Development. Um, pretty much everything he gets Great. to be in, he's not in as much as I think he probably should be. I think his voice maybe rubs people the wrong way because he's got that kind of, uh, like, grit to his voice. But uh, the the trailer looks really funny. I love the little, you know, Batman. You know, Batman fan jokes. If, if you're a listener and you don't know, I'm a huge fan of Batman. Um, Brandon can vouch for me as he's sitting in the man room, and there's Batman memorabilia all over it, as well as stuff that has nothing yeah, to do I with Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am a big fan of, of the Batman. So um, I like Michael Sarah a lot. He is uh, Scott Pilgrim. So I always give him a, a hopeful pass that he will be excellent. And from what I've heard in the trailer, as Robin, he sounds great. Um, it doesn't even sound like Michael Sarah to me though in in the trailer. I'm just like, oh, is that him as Robin? But um, yeah, and with with Will Arnett's voice, I feel like there's something about it that has this built-in condescension that comes yeah. through with no matter what he's <laughs> saying or how he's delivering it. It's kind of ingrained into the way that he delivers every line. I, yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think that's one of the things I love about him. Um, I like that kind of tone that he has as a uh, a character um so that movie i i'm excited about um it's definitely one i i love when a good animated movie comes out because i get to take my daughter um not that i don't take her to a bunch of other movies but um usually i don't feel as bad about taking her to that because sometimes we go to some other our movies and I'm, people are like i feel like they're staring at me <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, well. they may not be but they're just like like when we saw loving the old people were giving me a look um and loving's not it's actually really tame but the old people I don't think liked having a kid in the room. I think because it was at the Polk Theater, and they were all just glaring. Like even the woman who took our ticket was like, "I had a kid's ticket, and then mine because she's twelve and still qualified as a kid, and they're different colors." And the woman's like, "What's this one?" I'm like, "It's a <laughs> oh it's a gosh. kid's ticket," and she just looked like she'd never seen a kid's ticket before at the Polk Theater. So <laughs> I was like, and the and the ticket seller had to like break out a new roll from underneath the counter for the kid's oh ticket. My- so, like, she may have been the first kid. Now, we'd been to other movies there, but I guess for the, the indie films, the kids don't generally arrive. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's my kids a, a film person at this point. So, um, all right, so next movie, uh, also coming out next Friday, we're going to go with the crappy one. Um, and I'm going to tell a funny story about this. Uh, right before the podcast, I, I had forgotten to tell Corey what trailers to watch um, to make sure she'd seen them until about half an hour ago. And... I also wanted to rewatch all of them. So this is uh, Fifty Shades Darker comes out next week. And I decided I'd seen this trailer enough that I wasn't going to rewatch it. And um, I'm watching the trailers on YouTube on my iPad. And I've decided, you know what? I'm going to watch Lego Batman, the other movie that's coming out next week. But I'm not watching Fifty Shades Darker because it has been on every movie I've seen in the theater for the last two, three months now. And then it came on the TV as if to taunt me. <laughs> like, oh, no. You don't get to choose. <laughs> You're watching this stupid trailer again. Um one, the song in that trailer is so sickingly addictive. Like, I don't like it, but I'll end up singing it for the next four hours after I see the trailer. It's the um, Love Forever. Like, I, I, I just I hate it so much. And I, the movie looks so ridiculous. Um, I don't know why people are drawn to this. And Did you see the first one? I, I saw clips of the first one on the internet. As and that sounds bad. Hold on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't see those clips. I watched. I watched film reviewers rip the movie apart on YouTube. Um, man, 
I really, that's like the third time I put my foot it's in like my mouth. Every, <laughs> yes, every single episode, it seems like. I'm not even trying one. to do it. It just keeps falling into it. Um, Yeah, uh, I, I've only seen enough of the first one to get that it, it looks awful. Okay, well, what about you, Corey? Did you see it? The first Why one? would you think that I would see this movie? Hey, there's <laughs> no telling these days. We're in 2017. Oh my gosh, I can't. I feel like my character <laughs> is being questioned right now. Um, no. So that's a no, hard no, no. no. That's a hard no for me too. So none of us have seen the first one. So yeah. our level no. of interest in the sequel already is yeah. minimal. Yeah, it's we're going true. in like nope. Yeah. And but. My so God. can I tell you about when I saw the trailer for this movie, which yes. I've only seen it one time oh, because wow. I've willfully ignored Ow. it and just happened to have gotten lucky not catching it in mm. any of the theatrical screenings that I've attended. Which is, I'm sure, a lot. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not infrequent in my visits to the movies. So I went to see uh, Live by Night mm. with my parents and their friend that they had invited to come from church. So the trailers start, and I get up to go get a drink from the concession stands. I come back, and when I open the door and step inside the theater again, before I return to the seat, I realize, okay, this is the trailer for the new Fifty Shades Ah. movie. So I decide to stand at the back of the theater and wait for the trailer to pass before I return to my seat and awkwardly (laughs) sit between my parents' church friend and my mom to watch the Fifty Shades Darker trailer. And instead, stand and watch it from the back of the theater, not knowing anything about what transpires in the first film, and just thinking how absolutely ludicrous everything looked. Yeah. Could not tell you anything of what it's about, except obviously it's pitting the female character between two lovers trying to pull her from both sides. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. Well, and the... I'm definitely that, not going to see it. The... the like. The first trailer I saw, they made it feel like there was a supernatural element. Like the girl who shows up in the apartment was like a ghost. <laughs> I and saw. I'm like, I'm like, wait, that my- is that a real person or is she dreaming? Like, I don't get what's happening. How much darker does it get? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, there's supposed to be another one. So I don't, oh, I don't know what the third one could be called because it's Fifty Shades Black. of Grey. Is it that might be it? 50... I'm just kidding. I don't really know. <laughs> um, I, it it is. Uh, it it looks bad. Now I know the book was popular, and I don't I don't read those types of books anyway. So okay, but I heard so many negative things about the first movie that I would have thought the fan base would be gone. But I still keep hearing like people who were fans of the book still like you know like I can't wait. I'm like, are you sure you can't wait? I think that's the wrong term. I, I don't feel like it's not wanting. It's like it set the record for opening weekend in february until deadpool broke it last oh, year god well i Thank do you, deadpool. I, well i hope this one doesn't break <laughs> the deadpool record but yeah um, i don't think that's gonna happen yeah it looks it looks bad although i have to say one more catch i am i'm a big fan of regal cinema's um like pass setup like to get points and stuff um it's it's i rake in the points because i go to a movie like at least four times a month if not more and so i get free movies and stuff on the pass as well and I got an email, um, I think it was last month, for the past. They're giving a special bonus points if you see four Universal films. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, what is it? The first one was Split. I'm like, oh, I'm going to see Split, so that's I... perfect. Um, oh. The next one, it, or, or this is the order I'm going to give you. Uh, the next is The Great Wall, which looks a little cheesy, but I'm planning on seeing it because it's Matt Damon, and it's it's got dragons. I like dragons, so you know I'll give it a chance, even though I think it's going to be probably pretty bad. 
Um, Director's got a proven track record, though. Yeah, and... Hero it, was a great movie. The uh, the amount of dragons, though, to, like, the very first trailer for it, they cut to a long shot where you just see, like, a landscape of way too many dragons. Where I'm just like, they're all dead. Like, there's no... <laughs> like, oh, the premise. The premise is absolutely absurd. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're protecting the Great Wall of China, and for some reason, Matt Damon and Pedro yeah. Pascal from Game <laughs> of Thrones are called upon to uh-huh. serve as well as they fight against monsters that yeah. are storming the wall. It's it's, but I'm gonna see it. So I, that one's knocked off the list. The third movie is Jordan Peele's Get Out, which I'm totally excited about. Yeah. Can't wait to see that. I just read a pretty good write up from it from Sundance. And so I'm thinking three out of four. So what's the fourth movie? And the fourth movie is Fifty Shades Darker. And I'm like, you jerks. Like, I three or four, I'm in, and I get, like, an extra 4,000 points or something like that. And so but, now I, I'm, I'm thinking I might just buy a ticket to scan my card but not go in and watch it. Like, <laughs> Is that worth the point? I, Hold on, what? Yeah, movie pass, movie pass. Yeah, style. I have yeah. a movie pass, so I get one oh, free ticket a day I anyways. So I grant now my downside is I don't want to contribute to its box office and it's going to be recorded on your history of <laughs> it'll your movie say pass. that I saw I know, it. That's what I was thinking when I looked up this trailer. My review like, will literally be like I bought a ticket and didn't bother. Like <laughs> that's what I recommend everybody. When they read nice. your movie pass attendance record at your funeral <laughs> from start to finish and they throw Fifty Shades Darker and in the, there. He also said he watched the first one on <laughs> clips on the internet. <laughs> this guy's a pervert. Um. So, yeah, that's my fear. But, you know, that's what I'm considering. But let's get to the movie I am the most excited about for next Friday. Um, it was episode two of this podcast. Uh, it was John Wick. And John Wick Chapter 2 comes out next Friday. Um, I have actually been avoiding the trailers because oh, it's they one. They better not oh. blow it. Yeah. Well, one, I am terrified. Two, um, I, I don't I don't like to watch trailers of films that I'm actually excited for. Because I'm already excited for him. Like, I don't need anything in the trailer to make me start to doubt or make me spoil things. Because I am getting tired of trailers, including third act content. Like, it needs to chill. Keep it to the first two acts. And really, I'd prefer keeping it to the first act. But um, I, I did. I watched, I think it was the official trailer number two that I just watched for John Wick 2. Okay, so you did see the trailer. Yeah, I, okay. I, before this. Um, but I've, I, like I said, I've, I've caught a few TV spots, but I've mainly looked away. Um, I kind of, there's, the, there's a TV spot where he's talking to... Um, a guy ordering guns with like um, euphemisms for like food or drinks, I believe it is. It's like, dude, what do you recommend? And he's like, oh, I recommend this gun. And it's kind of cheesy. Um, okay, I've not seen that. One. Yeah, has, Corey, have you seen what I'm talking about? I saw a different trailer. Apparently, well, no, th- that the the trailer I just watched didn't have the scene that I'm describing, but it it feels like a TV spot. Like maybe it's even meant maybe a deleted scene that they used for the TV oh. spot because it's very. It has the feel of the Continental because you know, like when he orders um, the cleanup service in the it first has a film, throwaway element to it, yeah. where it could be some yeah. discarded part, and it it still gives enough information about the world where there's like these euphemisms that they use to to handle this illegal operations in a way that is um, out in the open yet covert. So I'm hoping that's all it was. It, it did. It's not. It wasn't bad, but it felt cheesier than anything I remember in the first movie. Um, like it felt like they built on something they because uh, with the cleaning crew, um, he calls and says, I, I need a uh, table for 12. I can't remember what he orders. He orders something early in the film and he says, like, I need a table for whatever. Yeah, they have all the codified language mm-hmm. that's built into that whole underworld. But it was done on the phone, which made sense. And in the TV spot, 
he's standing in a room with this other guy. So I'm like, why do they need to use the coded language? There's nobody else mm-hmm. visible. So, I, I mean, there could be reasons that we don't know. And then I'll, again, I'm not judging just, it. They all like it. It's their fun way of yeah. talking to each and other. That's yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> um, but the trailer I just watched was much more action-packed. Um, it, we got to hear uh, some cool John Wick-style delivery of dialogue that was very, you know, like, action-oriented. And um, Lawrence Fishburne holding a pigeon, I believe, is what he's holding in his hands. Um, so I'm not sure if they're going like a Mike Tyson route where he's like doing messenger pigeons. I was, I'm really looking forward to Morpheus and Neo on the same screen again, but I, I am pumped to see John Wick too. It looks like the action at the very least is going to be the same caliber that we got from the first movie. Okay. So my take on the trailer, which I've only seen a handful of times is, and I'll express the concern now is the upping the ante factor. That's my concern is that, all right, we got a good response to this first one. Now we've got more money, like a more solid mm-hmm. budget. we got to up the ante. And that could potentially, you know, part of the fabric of the first one is that it was so contained. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I do know, and I didn't know this until the trailer I just watched, um, at least part of this film is in Rome. Um, cause so they globe trotting now. Yeah, because okay. well, we there's a shot of him in the Continental, so that's wherever they were. Which I don't remember what city they were in, to be honest. Um, but wherever they were, they're there. And then at some point, he is in Rome because like I think the line that you hear with the voiceover of the car is "Welcome to Rome" or something along those lines. So now I guess it's possible Rome isn't referring to Rome, Italy, but I'm, it you know, um, I would say most likely it's Rome, Italy, but. Uh, yeah, that, that concerns me because, again, sometimes when a movie gets too much money, they start adding unnecessary elements and getting contrived. And, yeah, I this is the same fear I have with Deadpool 2. I love Deadpool so much that if the yeah. second one does anything wrong... Overreaches. Yeah, and it, they, they definitely have more money. Um, they're already talking about adding a bunch of new characters, which a lot of superhero movies get bogged down when they add too many characters. And so... But sometimes that overreaching ends up in greatness. Like, I know, uh, I remember hearing you talk about The Raid and mm. reading your review of The Raid Redemption. I don't know if you ever saw the sequel to that. I haven't got to the sequel of that, and I okay. have it. So, the sequel to that is way overreaching, and it's very epic in scope, and it doesn't really hit all the marks that it aims for, but man, is it so miles above the first one. And the first so one was good. impressive. Yeah, yeah. There's some definitely cool, cool elements to the first film. Um, yeah, and I, I've been meaning to. It's it's long too. Like when you say epic, I think it's like two and a half. Yes. Yeah. And that that's actually the main reason I haven't got to. I I tend to, like at a theater, it's I don't two and usually a half, avoid. That's as long as Handmaiden. Y- uh, yes. Which <laughs> had I had I not uh, been so highly recommended the Handmaiden because. Not just you, but every movie podcast that that has mentioned it has just raved about how great it was, um, which I think is uh, well. Sorry, Corey, John Wick two. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, just you know, forget about me. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm pretty excited, and I'm becoming a Keanu fan. Keanu, I can't talk today, fan. Um, but I can totally see what you guys are saying. I can definitely see there being an issue of sequelitis, but I'm going to go see it. And I think that you are definitely right about Rome um, because I saw a clip or something where he's getting fitted with a suit. So wouldn't it just be, Mm -hmm. you know, perfect if it was Italian? Well, and there's the part with the suit too. I think they say, what kind of style is like the last question? And he says, um, 
million questions. Oh, what does he say? He says something about it being like uh, oh. combat or. Oh man, the words is not coming to me, but it. I, it and there's a part. Um, he says something. Someone he's asked or something. Are you working or something? And I think he says it appears so, and it just. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I've only seen the trailer once. And, uh, there was a line that I really liked um, where uh, somebody said something about uh, starting a war. And he's like, I think he says, are you are we going to start a war? Or are you going to give me a gun or something like that? And it just okay. it has that John Wick. Like when they said right, people keep asking if I'm back, I'm guessing I'm back. It has that, <laughs> oh, kind, gosh, of, yeah. that kind of tone. And I, it's such a cheesy line. But I also uh, like, I yeah, love that he, line. He hammed up the delivery. Oh, too, man. To the perfect degree. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It's like I know it's hammy. But good lord, I love it. Like it's so great. And um I mean John Wick is just such a fun action film and it's it's also emotional. Like um the movies with Mikey for John Wick is really awesome and the way he breaks down um the emotional like story within the film. I, I just um I even today was talking to some students about another movie and um the idea of hope being taken away from a character and that's to me like when the dog is killed at the beginning of John Wick which I know technically that's a spoiler, people who are listening, but it does happen in the beginning of the film, and we have done that movie on this podcast. So, um, assuming you've listened to all five episodes, but um, and spoiler warning said. for the Handmaiden because yeah, we're it's gonna... about to get spoiled <laughs> inside out. Um, but the dog being killed is like taking away his hope, and when oh, I think Corey just got disconnected. Um, she sure did. Nope, oh, she's calling back in. Well, hey, everybody, we have a caller. Uh, hey, Corey from Idaho. Hi. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming that is going to be heard on the podcast, so that's kind of fun. So, <laughs> um, Did you click the button? I was trying to mute, guys. I keep sneezing. <laughs> she hung up on us. That's <laughs> I did. I was like, and bye. Done with his talk about hope being God, taken away. guys. But anyways. Yeah. What I, I told was... them two minutes on John Wick 2, and that's it. <laughs> we'll talk forever. Um. Yeah, but it is time to move on. Let's get to our movie of the week. As Brendan just uh, said, this is going to get spoiled. We're going to be going through the entire film of The Handmaiden. Um, we're going to be talking about it, and at the end, we're going to give our overall review. Now, I this is the first time we've done the podcast where my review's already been posted. Um, as I, Again, we watched this movie over a week ago, and that's another first, is that we watched this one way in advance, um, and I'm hoping I don't miss anything I want to talk about because it has been a, a week, and I've seen... Several other films since then, although um, there's only been two that I've enjoyed. Well, I'm sorry, only been one other film that I've enjoyed as much as I enjoyed The Handmaiden, which is probably an overstatement, but I love both in a way that I would uh, review them. So we're going to get into that. So if you haven't seen it yet, if you didn't watch it before, um, feel free. You can rent it digitally from Amazon through our website. If you go back to our uh, the, either back to our page right now where this podcast has been posted, you can click on the link and you can. Uh, Buy it from Amazon through our website, and it'll help us out. Or you can buy it anywhere you can find it. Um, it is available digitally on all platforms, and I think at this point you can get it on DVD. Um, but I'm not sure because when I looked the other day, it was an import only from uh, from South Korea. So that usually pays a little more and takes a lot longer to get here. So digital is probably your best bet. And watch out for region codes, guys. Mm. Re yes, region codes, although you can usually find region free from anywhere nowadays. Oh, but, not so much here, but like online. Um, like you're not going to walk into Walmart and find region free. But um, all right. So The Handmaiden is a 2016 film um, directed by, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, Chan Wook Park. Is that right? Yeah. Look at me speaking South Korean. 
Um, the director of photography, which I, I'm, we're going to spend some time with because I, I was intrigued. Uh, I was looking at his um, IMDb page, but it's Chung Hoon Chung. And uh, the cinematographer for this film, um, Brendan, do you know who that is by chance? Uh, I do not. Good, because I was surprised to see his list because he also was the cinematographer for Old Boy, which makes sense. Okay, Same yeah. director. But he was the cinematographer for Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. What? Oh, no way. Which I was really, oh my goodness, because I love the cinematography in that movie. Yeah. And um, he is going to be, this is the interesting one, uh, this year's film, It, the Stephen King remake. Um, oh, wow. So I'm like, okay, well, that's a different genre completely from what I've seen. Now, he's got a bunch of other credits as well. I just didn't recognize any of the films. I think he's done a lot of the work for uh, Chanwook Park, though, from what i just looking at both of their, their uh, back catalog. And the director, if you didn't catch on just now, he's the director from Old Boy, and then there's a, a Vengeance trilogy. Is that right? Yeah, I think which I've not seen any of that. The only ones that I've oh. seen of his are Old Boy, Stoker, and Handmaiden. And I've only seen the Handmaiden. And Corey, I think you're in the same boat, right? Same as now, John. I've had Old Boy on my Netflix queue for a while. I just, um, I have uh, heard that it's a tough, tough one to get through. <laughs> All you have mm. to do is start it, and you won't be able to stop watching it. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to try to do that this weekend. Although I'm, um, I did not. I had a parent conference last night. Uh, not a parent conference, a parent meeting. Like, um, future students' parents came to our school, and it stopped me from doing my Thursday ritual, which is seeing a new movie. And it really has thrown me off. But I'm planning on seeing The Space Between Us tomorrow. Um, but maybe tomorrow night, checking out Old Boy on Netflix once I'm I'm back home. Um. Because I've been there's I mean there's a million movies that I've been wanting to get to and I don't feel like that's an exaggeration anymore. Um, no. Because uh, one one thing before we get into the full review, I this is not a sponsor, but man, if they would sponsor us, I'd be very happy. Letterboxd um, is a social media network uh, for movie lovers. Um, it is a place where movie critics, common you know, just people like us or professionals and or you know even more amateur than us people who don't write all the time, but they've they're on Letterboxd. Um, you can share, uh, you can keep a movie diary, so you just post whatever movie you watch. You don't have to write a review. You can just rate it with the star system they have, which is a five-star system. Um, I uh, am a big fan of Letterboxd for a lot of reasons, um, one of which is uh, the ability to look through movies by year. And I was looking at movies from 2016 like and marking which ones I saw, which I saw 96 movies, I think, um, that are dated as a 2016 film. I think I'm over 100 now because I've seen a few since the year is uh, rotated. Like I saw Lion now and um, I still need to see Live by Night. Um, but uh, I found out, like, because I was thinking, man, 96, that's got to be a pretty big chunk. According to um, Letterboxd, and there there are some deviations because they count some TV movies and they count, uh, I think, all the Netflix original films and stuff like that as well. And they count some that the definition of a film qualifies as far as the, the length. But I wouldn't consider a film like the uh, the Warner the DC comic animated like straight to DVD movies that they do. Those are counted. But there were ten thousand plus movies that came out last year. What? Yeah, yeah ten thousand. Believe it. Because it's also the foreign market. Because that's what I'm thinking. Ninety six. I went to our theater and saw ninety six movies. We don't get a whole lot of foreign films in this area. So that's not even scratching the surface of what the world is pr- producing. So yeah. if you calculate approximately ten thousand movies a year for the last let's say 20 and then it probably reduces down a little bit um as it gets 
farther back in time and the digital is not an uh, option. I think probably the releases have probably expanded a lot over even just the last 10 years. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're probably right. Digital is only about 10 years. Because probably around like the year 2000, there was a, I mean, it was much more limited. The amount of theatrical releases mm. just in America was probably, you know, substantially less. It might have been around like two or three hundred. Yeah, and I mean now, like almost every week, there's three or four movies that that get a wide release. Yeah, which and that's is not insane. counting the amount of movies. Like if you look at like um, any of the sites that give you like the upcoming movies, there's usually like a list of fifteen to twenty movies, most of which won't be in a theater anywhere near you. Yeah, people don't know the Happily. struggle. They yeah. don't know the struggle today of what it was like back then when you had to search and hunt. And even still, there are certain movies that come out that you have to wait and just hope for but but letterbox is a really great way to kind of keep up with what's coming out and what you want to see um i keep a watch list of what i want to see and i mean it's getting extensive and the, the the thing i like about it a lot is when you watch it and you you tag that you watch it and rate it it removes it from the list something that imdb's list has never done for me like if i rate a film it keeps it on my watch list i'm like why would it stay on my and even netflix when i put something on my list and i watch it i feel like it should automatically come off of my list because I went through the other day and was like pulling things off, and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. I watched so many of these, and as if my list wasn't already massive on Netflix as it is, because I don't know about you guys, but I am the guy who gets on Netflix and I scroll for, for hours. Yeah, for so long that I can't watch a movie. I could have watched like, a movie. Yeah, yeah. I could have. Uh, and I've just movie. I've added a whole bunch more to my list at that point. I'm like, well, uh, you know, one and day. Then, do you guys remember? I'm pretty sure a, while, a little while ago, maybe not a little while ago. But there was like a cap on how many you could have in your like yeah. queue. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I feel <laughs> now that it's time. just I kind of wish they still had that because yeah, I just like unlimited. looking. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, but one day I'll get to, and the reality is too. There's people look at the list and you're like, there's not a lot of movies on Netflix, and I'm like, well, I still have yeah. an extensive list, even though I feel that way. Like, there's a lot of movies that aren't on Netflix. But there's still you a know, lot on Netflix. There is, but you know what they do. Every time I'm like, I'm done with Netflix, bye, I'm done, they add something that I have to watch. Well, it's usually like a show or something, so I'm like super... The the best you know, news I've it. heard with Netflix for a while is that Making Blair's directorial debut is going to be on Netflix oh, yeah. next month. Yes. Um, and that's uh, This crazy. month, isn't it? Is it this month? I don't. I, I know I'm that was sure soon. I'm pretty sure it's towards in February. Okay, it's it's soon, and that's exciting. If you're if you're not familiar with Macon Blair, he was a, generally an actor for Jeremy Solonier, whose name I always butcher. Um, but in Blue Ruin, particularly, he's the lead, and he's got a prominent role in Green Room, um, and also in Murder Party, which I've not seen. But um, Macon Blair's directorial debut stars. Um, oop, name's gone. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, and then there's a female too who's also famous getting her name but i like her yep that's how i felt at the moment but i can't remember the names but um it's i don't want to live on this planet anymore i believe is the name of the film i don't feel at home in this world anymore. i don't feel at home in this world okay so in the ballpark of melanie the, uh... linsky ah okay maybe i don't know her by name um she looks familiar then yeah she was from mm -hmm. heavenly creatures mm. and peter oh! jackson's breakthrough movies and she was also on uh two and a half men <laughs> Yeah, I'd... Charlie Sheen's crazy neighbor. Ah, I, I avoided that show for the most part. But yeah, classic sitcom. Yep. I well, see. I am. I am sadly a, a sitcom addict. But I don't. I don't know what it is about that show. I think sadly it's um, Ducky Corey. Uh, whatever his act, his name is. That's John not... Cryer. Yeah. John I, Cryer. I, he drives me John crazy Cryer. on that show. Um. So well, I also heard that he's a d bag. So mm, there's yep. that. I've heard that as well. 
but that's not why. I just I just don't like the character he plays on that show, which is kind of still like Ducky. Um, but yeah, enough. It's time to get into the review. So as we've said and we've rambled, we're getting into The Handmaiden from 2016. Um, and I guess. Uh, Brendan, you recommended this. Why don't you start us off? What uh, what made you recommend this film from all the films of last year? This film was my favorite film of last year. Out of everything that I saw, which I don't know if I topped out at 100, but I saw my fair share last year, and it was definitely the most striking. I had the most... Uh, prolonged response to it i downloaded the soundtrack like i that's something that i've heard you talk about on yep. some of the top fives of movies that strike you enough to where you download the score or you download the soundtrack from it and you're listening to it over and over again that was the first i that might have been the only one last year that i downloaded and listened oh, to. oh wow even sing street i still haven't seen <gasps> sing street. Yeah. What? you guys can <laughs> double strike me oh man oh my god <laughs> That's yeah. That yeah. I wish I had the DVD with me. I'd let you borrow it, but but yeah, it's, no, it's I still have not seen Sing Street. But yeah, this one I listened to. It actually, I mean, the score, certain parts of it vaguely reminded me of the Hours, which was a score done by Philip Glass that I really enjoyed from a while back, and everything about it. This to me was like the most superlative on every level. Like the the direction, the production, the acting, the cinematography, the score, like every detail of it, the sound design, the story, the fact that the story was adapted from a novel. And by the way, I looked up on my Audible account. Mm -hmm. I was going to download the audiobook and try to listen to the novel that oh, it was man. based on. And it's set in like Victorian England. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. It's from a, a novel called Fingersmith that came out in like 2002 and the audiobook is 23 hours and 42 minutes long that is uh yes uh, that's when you listen to it at like five times yes. <laughs> oh my gosh and this guy adapted it into a story about a japanese korean hybrid like crossover tale mm -hmm. set in you know the early 1900s and everything about it just blew me away i mean i couldn't i saw it and went back to see it again the next day like i had to oh, wow. and i knew it wasn't going to last long because it was i it, it might have been the only release in central florida was at the Enzian. they had it yeah. for about two weeks it has wow. not come to the polk it. theater i think it's too uh extreme for the polk theater um it, it, i could even see polk county has a uh very strict policy about adult video and i could see them making an argument that oh, this qualifies i always forget oh, uh, that I saw blue is the warmest color at the Polk Theater. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that just disproves that whole theory. Um, so, oh man, you should have heard that theater theater go silent. I, I, you know, the the funny part to me with Handmaiden is, um, I went in hearing that it was very graphic, and I actually was like, because I was going to try to go to the Enzian, and then I heard how graphic it was, and I was like, I don't know if my wife's going to be okay with me watching that. Um, so, I didn't go. And I didn't, I didn't even bring it up. And um, so when I started watching this, and I did ask, I literally, before I even rented, I was like, okay, look, I've heard this movie's amazing. I really want to watch it, but I hear it's also pretty uh, sexually explicit. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. 
I'm like, okay, just wanted to make sure because I didn't want you to like walk in and like. It's what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what it, what's going to happen. I've just heard that it was very yeah, sexually it's explicit. It's the most tastefully done graphic material that I've ever seen. I yes, I, sure. I would say I, that yeah. it, it's still done tastefully, although it is also the most in a movie in a you know is the most um, visual like. I know what that is, and I know what that's doing, and I know what's going on over there. Even though, again, I still I agree. I think it was tasteful, uh, and very much. Um, I felt I felt like it earned it. That's part of the power of his direction too, is the way that he portrays it, and the and just the the structure of the movie, the way that it adds depth to scenes that you've already it, seen before in the film. And that's like, and we'll get into this more, yeah. but yeah. Well, and that's actually where I was going was that yeah. um, the first time there they. The uh, the two female characters, which is um, Suki, is her, I believe, Suki. It, I, I hope I'm saying it. I'm probably saying it wrong. That's a character name. And then Lady Hideko. Um, the first time they're intimate, it is a very, very tame scene where you don't see anything. And later, it is a much more extensive scene where you see almost everything. Very blatant. Yeah. Very, yeah, very explicit. But still still maintains the tone of the entire movie. Like there are elements of humor that are portrayed in it, like very well executed humor within the scene, but very high emotional depth between the, the Mm. bond that it's establishing between the two characters. Actually the, the tone shifts in this movie are so impressive because it does, it's a very serious drama with, um, I, I felt like there's definitely some political commentary on how women were treated as objects in, in the Asian culture. And yet, I laughed like four times, like really, really hard, like in this movie. And one of them was in a scene that I, I can't wait to talk about because I, I, I didn't spoil anything in my my review on the on the website, um, because I, I I'm still blown away at the the way the story uh, is told. And I guess that's really where we should go. Um, the film starts. It is it's structured with three uh, acts essentially, but they they tell you that. Um, and we get more and more information as the movie progresses. Um, we see it kind of play out, and we think we understand what's happening. And I, I know that when Corey was watching it, she texted me at the first big twist, which is when uh, we think Lady Hideko is being put into the mental institution, only to find out that they've lied and said Suki is Lady Hideko. And oh. Corey texted me and was like, what? <laughs> Just No, I texted you at the very beginning. Oh. I knew I was gonna love it. The like, down. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, John. No, you texted oh my me gosh. several times. Um, it, <laughs> no, because I told you it was so beautifully shot that I just felt like I was gonna love wow. this movie because it's like kind of the opening where she's going to this mansion and mm. it's like that overhead shot on the road. Yes, that was the first time. But yes. So the first time that I saw this movie, I actually arrived late. Oh. Which was part of what fueled oh. me to want to see it again immediately because I was meeting two of my friends to see it. And they told me when I got there that I had missed like 10 minutes of the movie. And in my oh. mind, I was trying to reconcile it with the start time and how long previews would have been or promotional material. And it didn't make sense, but I accepted it because they were there and I wasn't whenever the movie started. So when I went back to see it the next day, I had missed maybe 30 seconds of the movie. Oh, wow. 
But by the time that I had sat down next to them and they noticed that I was sitting there, they were so involved in the movie that they didn't even realize that I had like gotten there and arrived on the scene. I, okay, I've I've gone back and researched our text messages, Corey. So I'm going to call you out. So, <laughs> oh my god, the, <laughs> the first, oh no, the okay. first one is, damn, I love this overhead view of the car driving down the road. So you were right; that is the first thing See? you said. But then That's I said, the "Oh, thing. get ready! This movie is gorgeous." And then at eleven oh five, you texted me, How? "I am so confused. Hopefully, it will be explained in Act 2. So that is what I was talking about. <laughs> you did text yeah, but... me at oh. the twist, and um, and I was like, "Oh, it will be." You just wait. You and just wait. Because it gets the that that moment was so, like that was when I was like, "Oh, we're in for something really interesting." Because. I was also I was confused. I'm like, this feels like the end of the movie, but I knew it was two and a half hours. I'm like, I know that I haven't been watching this for two and a half hours. So when it cuts to the act two and it's like retelling yeah. the story from a different perspective, because I believe we go to Lady Hideko's uh, perspective in Act Two, um, where we were in Suki's uh, perspective for Act One. They give you a full arc in the in the first act. Yeah, and the second arc completely redesigns the first act makes and the third completely redesigns the first two and that's part of the beauty of how this movie is structured is the storytelling of it and the way that you as the audience are intended to perceive it as it progresses and gets to the end the more that's revealed and the more you think back to the previous acts and then the the replay value on this movie is extremely high because when you're watching it with the foreknowledge of what happens in the end, it just makes you appreciate it all the more every time. Like, I can totally believe yeah. that because I was I was so blown away by everything in the movie, but particularly the story because, um, one, the love story he builds between the two characters and how genuine it feels in the first act felt confusing almost. Like, like why do they love each other so much? I haven't seen anything. But then when you get the extra layers and you start to unfold how intense their love is and how it sp- it kind of happened very naturally. Um, I mean, God, the acting in this movie yeah. is so superb. The um, role-playing. Everybody, every character that's being portrayed is also portraying a role themselves mm-hmm. that are all in- intertwined yeah. through different storylines of double crosses and deceptions between yeah. each other. And that's a that's a big point of the film is like the trust. Mm-hmm. And Hideko like trying to to get that trust out of Suki by saying like you can steal, you can take whatever you want, but just do not lie to me. Oh yeah, yeah. And the first time she says it, you don't think what it really means and like what it's it's really talking about the relationship. It's not necessarily just talking about this handmaiden who is now you know with me all the time. But um, I want to talk about the cherry tree, the cherry blossoms yeah. in the backyard because one cherry blossom trees are well, cherry trees with cherry blossoms on them are always gorgeous. Like they're they're just a beautiful sight to see. But the the juxtaposition with the cherry tree and death um is so powerful because we hear that um, her aunt killed yeah, herself, hung herself <laughs> from the cherry tree. And then um when Suki is uh Suki is first alone in the room, she goes through all of her like clothes and we see a hat box that has a giant rope in it yeah um, and she pulls the rope out to its full length like all the way up past her own height yeah and it, it's like okay well that's kind of weird that's a weird place to hide a rope um and then uh when they leave at the end of act one we see a noose hanging from the tree 
and they just pass by it, and they they literally just pass by it. Like yeah. you could even miss it. Like if you blinked, you might not see it. And I'm like, I'm like, why is there a noose on the tree? Is that like a ghost? Like what's happening? And then we get more information later, um, where we see uh, Lady Hideko decide to kill herself. Um, be- and the first reason, well, it's it's worth noting before we get into that portion mm-hmm. that there's a moment between Suki and Hideko before. Uh, Count Fujiwara, which we should probably take a moment to after introduce. after yeah yeah to kind of like set set about the basic introduce. plot point of the first act yeah and, Let's do that. and how it gets redesigned. But man, quickly just on the note of the the noose and the hanging from the tree is Suki tells Hideko that her mom was hanged, which she was, and she was a thief and she stole a thousand times. They say, mm-hmm. and she got caught once. Caught once, and that's and, all it took. Yeah, and they said, "Did like did she cry whenever she died?" And she was like, "No, she laughed. Like she said, she was happy that she had you, and she laughed." Oh man. Oh my. Yeah. The uh, I I'm I'm I rented this movie, and I can't wait to buy it because it's Same. it's so marvelous. Like it's just. So the basic, and I know I miss the, stuff too. Yeah. yeah. So the basic structure of the story as it gets laid out for you in the first act is it starts on Suki and she is not a wet nurse, but she's at a facility or some sort of place that cares for babies that were abandoned or left to die. And they have a wet nurse there that feeds the babies. So Suki is a caretaker individual. Like she's caring for helpless beings that are just left there and nobody cares about them. Of course, there is a sense of irony that they they then sell the babies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And and she was taken under the wing of the top thief, like uh, taught to be an expert pickpocket mm-hmm. and basically a con artist. Yep. Essentially, but so she works at this place as a caretaker, and she says she wishes that she uh, could produce milk so she could feed all the babies. Like she yeah. definitely beyond the you know being a thief she definitely has that caretaker they assign yeah. that to her in a very genuine way yeah and there's a uh, definitely she's not an evil person she does things to survive like the the stealing and stuff is not meant to be like oh she's just an immoral person like, yeah she's been taught that mm-hmm. but her natural instinct is she wants to care for these things yep. yeah and you, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense with the how it plays out with her and lady hideko because that's initially how she sees her is I need to take care of her because she's an innocent little girl. Yeah. So then one day Count Fujiwara, I don't recall what his actual name is, but yeah. he goes by Count Fujiwara pretty much as his identity yep. for the duration of and the film. I think mainly just referred to as the Count. Like I didn't like yeah. I, I had to look up the name on IMDb like to write about it. So uh, Count Fujiwara. Um yeah, total jerk. Right? This guy's a Looney Tune. He's hilarious. He's oh yeah, a total comedic. Like he's booming as soon as he steps into any scene. Yep, yep. He he very captivating personality. So he comes in to this place where they're caring for the babies, and he spells it out the whole situation. There's yep. this guy. He's some Korean guy who helped barter some deal for a gold mine, basically with some Japanese diplomat. Mm-hmm. And then married into Japanese wanted, wealth. Wanted to be Japanese. Wanted to be Japanese. 
and then his wife died, and then he married the aunt. Oh, is man, I missed the letter. Oh, yes, yeah, I thought he was married missed- to the aunt, and then the aunt killed herself, mm-hmm. and then that's how he ends up with Hideko. Who is and Hideko it? is Japanese. She's the heiress to the fortune, mm-hmm. and this guy that... needs her to have like his status. Yeah, and he is a book collector, um, which yeah. we get right away when when uh, suit. They say Su- he loves it as much as his own flesh. Yeah, like books are his thing. Now, when they said that, that is definitely not the uh, the picture that came to mind when they said he loved books. Is not what we later get. Um, I was very surprised by how it how that plays out um because that was not the type of books that i was expecting him to be a fan mm. <laughs> um but yeah so she gets there and uh she now is the uh, handmaiden for lady hideko and the her first encounter is a nightmare um hideko starts screaming uh she runs in and i think ends up sleeping next to her in the bed to soothe her throughout the night that's what we get it's really quick and we get a better shot of it later on um, especially from Hideko's perspective of how that plays out. But um, they they develop a pretty quick relationship. Um, they seem to get along pretty well. And yet uh, when the Count shows up and he reminds Suki why she's there, you can definitely see her wanting to back out. Like it's in her face that she's not. Yeah, so that that should be explained too. So the part of the ploy is the mm. Count employs Suki to become the handmaiden of Hideko so she can be her right at her right hand at all times yep. and be able to inform her and manipulate her into falling in love with him so yep. that he can take her away to elope marry her and then get the access to her fortune before that creep yeah the, MF uncle the uncle who's way too on old. her and that's like by design that's all he's wanting to do is to marry his niece in law, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And and the count, his his plan also includes um once married and once all the paperwork's su- signed, getting her locked up in a mental institution. Yes. And then giving uh Suki her share and then, you know, living yeah. happily ever after. Not together, just you know, on there yeah. and here's your money. Suki has financial stake in this whole plot. Mm-hmm. A pretty big one, if I recall, because she is it started I think he offered fifty to split with her her crew. And then she said, yes, but I also want 100000 or something for herself. Yes. So um, mm. lots of money at stake. But as uh, she gets close with Hideko, she starts definitely questioning whether or not um, it's worth it. Like she, We don't hear that, but it's it's in her performance. Uh, at the end of the first act, she says flat out that it was wrong to come here. Yeah. yeah. Yes, she correct. says it was wrong to come here, and she didn't want to be there anymore. And by the end, she's laying in bed trying to say don't think of Hideko, don't think of Hideko. Yeah. Now, um, there is a, a lovemaking scene in the the first act that is, again, very tame. Um, for the Well, what we see is very tame. Um, we will re-see that scene in the second act, but much more uh, explicit. Um, I don't even think, I don't think there's any nudity in the first scene, and it's relatively short. Um, and that when that happened, I was like, oh, this isn't as bad as everyone was saying. And then the second act, I'm like, oh, never mind. It is definitely as explicit as everyone was saying. But um, the first act is uh, it's pretty impressive how the story you know intertwines and everything works. We get a very brief reference that the uncle is a creep um, because Suki goes to get her out of the library because she was uh, she has reading practice like two hours a day or something like that. Yeah, and she goes to get her out of the library and um, they she's on her knees 
not in a sexual position, but still like in a very submissive position. It's in the supplicant position next to where the uncle is seated in a chair that's obviously like above her. Yeah, it, it's it's, uh, and then um, they look shocked, which was weird because Hideko told her to come get her, but even Hideko looks kind of like, "What are you doing?" And Suki goes to walk in, and then he says, "Snake," and there's a cobra, which at first I thought was a real cobra. I was like, "What the crap?" Yeah. But it slammed the gate shut. Yeah, yeah. The the crazy gate too. Like it's we just get the vibe that something's not right. This is not a normal library by any means. You know what? And that's the vibe that something's not right. There is something that is threaded through this whole thing that it does feel like a supernatural like you feel like something is under the surface at all times and that's something that never really hits it, and they don't explore it at all, but it feels like that. Yeah, yeah. And the everything building, is definitely yes, yeah. But it's all portrayed very in a very <laughs> realistic fashion. But just from the way that things are shot, and like th- when Suki shows up at the at the mansion and she's getting introduced to the building, everything is very <laughs> dizzying. Like the camera work is moving around. Like mm-hmm. it's you know you sense the astonishment of what really yeah, is going on and where she is and then and they they give that crazy duality right from the beginning she's explaining like half of this building is english half of it is japanese mm-hmm. and then they have the annex which is the library which is where the the snake and the reading and all that is going on yeah and um it is it's just outstanding um like how great it looks and and going back to the the noose that we get a glimpse of I think adds to that vibe that you're talking about, the thread of uh, the supernatural, because, again, there's just this news hanging there with no explanation. They don't dwell on it. The only thing we know about that cherry tree is that her aunt, her aunt had hung herself there. So we see a news, and it's like, whoa, what is that? Is that, like, has it always been there? Because I didn't see it earlier. So it was really confusing. And, again, that's where the Act 2 really hit some some crazy parts. I'm trying to – I know I laughed at some major moments in this film. I know oh, a few yeah, of them I was – laughed at a bunch. Um, Suki and and Count, they their interactions are often pretty comical. I I definitely oh yes yeah in the garden. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. Oh, what like? Well, I, I think that's Act Two where she. Uh, oh, I can't remember. I'm trying Act. to place where she when she grabs him by the. Uh, well, he makes her yeah grab him by the uh, yeah. the junk, and her her retort is pretty funny. Um, something about there's not enough. To please me or something. I can't remember what what she says, but it, she man. basically says, "If you You're ever little, make me uh, touch your small, yeah, 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 yeah." Oh, she peace again. Then yeah, she she's great. She's she's tough. <laughs> um, and that's I actually like about both the, the female characters in this because while they're portrayed as ne- being very submissive, they're both very strong in well, reality. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. that's what they. I mean, and that's what's shown throughout is their. Their perception of each other's vulnerability and naivete in their different fashions. And, like, even as it gets threaded along where you realize Hideko's been looking at her this mm-hmm. way as this pathetic, like, she's the patsy. Yeah. And Sookie's looking at her like she's the patsy. And they're both and, just... Yeah. And then they cross streams against each other and then suddenly they're they're linked together. And you get you get a sense of that from the scene with the bath. Where Sookie's giving her the bath, mm-hmm. and she's giving her a lollipop, and she's like, oh, my auntie used to give the babies yep. candy whenever they would get baths so that they would like taking baths. Operant conditioning. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she says, uh, you know, my tooth is sharp. She's like, it's hurting me whenever. Mm-hmm. So she grabs the 
thimble that no. is like a grater, and then yeah. and and it's a very centrally oh, shot yeah. everything about it whenever she's grinding down her tooth and you sense that connection i mean it's oozing with them establishing that very deep connection to each other like oh yeah that's... yeah and at the same time made me cringe with pain i think Corey just made that sound too i'm like are you <laughs> yeah. grinding a tooth the that's, thought of grating on a tooth i can't handle it just so the sound bad. yeah i'm I, glad they left that out oh i'm surprised we didn't have to hear the sound just to make us even more Gross. uncomfortable because the scene is it feels like you're looking in on two people who are falling in love in a place where like you're like oh my bad i'll walk out like i was ready to i i felt embarrassed watching because it's like wow they know they don't even realize how much they're into each other and it's in a wildly unconventional situation where she's grinding down one of her yeah. teeth with yeah. some metal filament put on her thumb. Yeah. And 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 she's in the bathtub. Yeah. Holding a lollipop. So it's yeah. like it's the weirdest scene. There's like it, rose petals and everything oils floating uh, in the tub. I mean it it is it's very sensual but it it definitely establishes this really deeper connection between the two characters which will later lead to the first intimate scene. Um, which is pretty intense again, even in the first scene, although it's it's again not shown as much, but there's it, it boils over. They both have been uh, kind of resisting it. Um, and it boils over and that it, it's passion erupting. like there's it's so much love and passion towards each other that they can't hold it in anymore. And that it's really beautiful in that capacity. And that's what I mean when I said earlier that they earn the explicitness of the sex because they there's so much pent up, sexual tension between the two of them yeah and the the repression of both of them yeah in every in every sense like the more you learn about Hideko you're like oh my gosh that's how she lived her whole life since she was five and for Hideko too like this is I think the first time where the sexual experience is wanted it's it's what she actually wants to experience where I think any other sexual experience that is alluded to in the film it was unwanted it was forced upon her in some capacity and this is like her choosing Suki, you know. Yeah. That... Well, and and a really funny part because you know in the first act you're kind of in on the scheme of oh this Japanese lady is crazy they're about to hoodwink her you know you're in on Suki and the Count's side mm-hmm. and you kind of want to see how their plot's going to play out and you don't really know the other people yet because you're getting introduced to all this too and then you see the Count explaining to Suki how he's gonna act all flummoxed and he's going to stutter over his words like, Oh, whoa, 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 mesmerizing. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like enraptured trying to demonstrate how he's enraptured with her. And, you know, before he even arrives on the scene, you see Suki get introduced to Hideko and she has that reaction naturally. Yeah. 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 He didn't tell me she's so pretty. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, and then when they do, the Count does win her over because Suki helps make it happen in a very definitely, you know, not happy with herself way. They they go to Japan to elope. Um, they get married. Uh, they they have sex, or at least that's what we're told because poor Suki has to listen to it through the wall, and she's hurting because she, she loves Hideko. Um, and she has to then basically confirm to the the mental institution um doctors that Hideko's crazy and it's a pretty interesting scene especially how it will play out moments later cuz they're like okay so is she insane she's like yes she's crazy she I don't remember what she says i just remember thinking like wow she's really she's committing to this she's she's going through with it 
Um, because I kept waiting for her to to turn on the count. Back out. Yeah, like to no way, no way. I love her too much. I can't do this. And so when she says those things to the doctors, I'm like, wow, she's gonna do, she's gonna betray her. And you, and again, you can tell it pains her. It's not like she's doing it like. And know, it hurts you to watch it. Yeah, it does. It really, really does. You're totally emotionally invested in these two characters, um, and you're like, the count's evil. Why are we doing this with the count? Um, granted, the uncle's probably evil too, even though we don't know anything about him Oof. really. But just the premise that an uncle wants to marry his niece is disturbing. So, yeah, that's yeah, scratching the surface yeah. of the indi- indication of the depths of his. Yeah, we're darkness. just exactly. And then when we see them take her to the mental institution, and her backup, you know, Hideko backs up very scared, but she's not scared. She's playing the role of the handmaiden. And now Suki is told to be Hideko, and they take her. And I'm just like, what? And Corey and I thought me. that she was crazy, and she really was the lady the whole time. Oh, was interesting. Like, oh, did you? That's interesting. Yes. I was like, oh, my God, she's crazy. She, I thought she was, <laughs> like, the handmaiden the whole time, and she's the lady. And that's when I texted so you. Corey thought. <laughs> Corey was thinking we were watching an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, who yeah, the yeah. got twisted up 45 <laughs> minutes in. Um, which, that was even more shocking, because, again, it felt like the end of the movie, because we, we, we've seen an arc. We've gone, from, we've gone, basically, to almost the end of the movie, but we haven't seen enough of it yet. We've only seen, really... Suki's world. We oh, haven't seen yeah, that separation. Like that. When that happens, it devastates you. And your, I mean, your natural reaction is, where is this movie gonna go from here? Yeah, because I'm look. I looked. I think I paused it to see how long was left. I'm like, I <laughs> what? Like, what is happening? Um, and yeah, and then we get to go back to the beginning, but from a different perspective. Yeah. Oh, it's so brilliant. It, it's, as soon as it starts again, you're just you're like. It, makes you double down on it because i think right away don't they don't we find out that uh hideko was in on the plan of bringing suki in like immediately oh man and the way they reframe okay so another thing that uh is definitely integral to the movie is the fact that hideko is she reads books like that's what she does like that's Mm -hmm. what her uncle has trained her to do she reads books but you don't really know what that means yeah not at all that's not explained at all you just know that she reads books and then you're also told that Suki is uh, illiterate. She can't yep. read, and she can speak Japanese, but she can't read Korean or Japanese. Yeah, it's completely illiterate. Yeah, so there's a, there's a letter that the Count mm. gives her to present as evidence of her abilities as a handmaiden. And she can't read it, so she doesn't know what it says. He coaches her into what it says, goes line by line, and explains it to her. So then whenever the letter is given to Hideko, she asks Suki to read it to her. And yep. that's when it's revealed that Suki's illiterate. Yeah, she only gets through a little bit of it, and then it's like, nope, I can't do this. Yeah. And so that letter, we later get to hear what it actually said. Um, and it's it's the plan, it's the plot about Suki and, and Hideko because the Count and Hideko were going to get her to do exactly what we've already seen. They're going to frame her as Hideko so that the uncle will think she's locked up in an insane asylum so that she's free, and they split the money. Count gets some, Hideko gets most, and you know she's free of her creepy uncle, and she can yeah. escape because that's... It's not really clear in the the beginning of the film how powerful the uncle appears to be. Like he's got, yep. he's got like samurais. They do, <laughs> they do give like slight indication at the beginning. They say that uh, he's one of the wealthiest 
uh, people, and he's a book lover. And amongst book lovers, he is the, the wealthiest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but not dangerous though. You know, like wealthy definitely has the ability to hire people. But we later see that he's got some yeah. some troops. I- he's got some G's on payroll. Yeah. Corey, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say that it definitely does feel like he has that political reach, though. Oh yeah, and well, money that, that can be yeah, a little more definitely. I mean, money well, and, money buys a lot of things, um, and people apparently are one of them. Yes, um, and then also I think it's interesting because it kind of shows the classism there too that the lady can read and then the handmaiden can't. Yeah, well, and and the uncle has the same desperation as the count because neither of them are japanese so they need mm-hmm. they both need to marry hideko yep to establish to get what they want yeah, yeah. cuz the count mm-hmm. we learn the count came from nothing he wants to be able to order wine without having to look at the price yeah and yeah. he's he's become uh, he's such a good con artist that he was literally nothing started saved up his first money went to a restaurant dressed up in a suit and everything and people started jokingly calling him the count out of mockery and so we learn kind of even though he's he's essentially one of two villains in the film, he earns a little bit of sympathy. Not much. You like him. Oh, yeah. yeah they make you like him from the get go. Mm-hmm. Even though he's doing awful things it, like even more, there's something about him that's non threatening, even though he's mm-hmm. trying to be deceptive. Well, now in the second act, um, we get to see him sitting in on a reading. Right. That's act two. Yeah. And. Then there's some scenes that it was hard to to tell exactly what was happening, but it appears that he rented her for a while. Like there's a scene of her like being spanked, um, and it I think it's him that's doing. It, but the uncle's there with it. I I wasn't a hundred percent sure if it was like I don't know. I I I'm no one's saying anything right now, so I'm completely like I didn't I... make this up. <laughs> No, because I know what you're talking about, but I also didn't understand exactly what I was seeing okay. either. Well, well, I know that I don't know. Well, actually. my mind immediately jumped back to whenever they show you the reading. They show you mm-hmm. what what she's been doing, what the reading means, what it is. And so what it is is basically a gathering of these rich old Japanese guys. Diplomats and rich old guys, yeah, they're all like dressed up to the nines, wearing their full suits, like all the accoutrement, and they're all sat there to witness her read this text, which is basically just, uh, you know, very graphic literature that describes sex in some form or fashion. Yeah, often with illustrations, and either way, I guess that was. There was an audience for that. Apparently, well, there were no. There's no TV yet. Yeah, so, uh, no TV, no radio. Erotic fiction, um, you know, and yeah, being and read for those who will pay for it. Being read by a woman who is attractive, and apparently, and that's the illusion that they give is that you can pay or bid to have her for the night. Um, that's the what I took happened, and that's earlier when I said Suki is the <laughs> first sex she's having that she wants. Well, they have that super weird enactment at the end of her reading though where they have that wooden doll drop down yeah. from the ceiling do you remember that yeah and she's like and it was yes. a, it was a recreation of a lost illustration from the book and that was another mm. point of the illustration I... was like a, a key portion yeah because that was the part of the count's front was that he was there to, to, what? to... duplicate books that the That's uncle right. didn't want to sell 
he didn't want to actually sell, so he was creating fake copies of it. Yep. Yeah, because that was, they were also bidding on the book that she read. Yes. Um, but there is we see the count with the uncle and her in like little cut. They cut back and forth to it. it's cross cut. It's not just we're not we don't stay with the scene. We're just getting these little flashes of something after the reading is what it's implied. Um, and how often that's allowed, we don't know. Because um, the uncle, I don't, the uncle is definitely attracted to her, but I don't. It's also. He needs her. He clearly just wants money and status yeah. and power. And yeah. he's not he's not concerned with her. His only concern with her is marrying her so that it legitimizes him mm-hmm. as Japanese and dignitary. He, we're definitely when we see the reading, one, we know that the aunt used to do the reading before she killed herself. Yep. So he made his wife do these readings. Um and he's definitely an old pervert. Um Proven already by the fact that he wants to marry his niece, but only cemented oh. further. His book collection is apparently all these dirty erotic books. And they show his servants carrying him around, sitting on a chair, reading the book, and they have him hoisted on their back. Yeah, while he is, just sits there reading a book, and they carry him across the it's grounds. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it is very cra- like he's like Yoda, <laughs> freaking yeah. Empire Strikes oh Back, gosh. just on Luke's back. Like, come on, let's go. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so that part is really relevant, and that's why um, the Count is so smart, because initially he seems to be flirting with her, but then he tells her, like, no, I knew right away that I couldn't get you, so instead I have an offer. I can save you. Yes. And that's where the plot gets really, like, what? So he, we, we get what we already knew was the plot, which was he was going to get Suki to come be her handmaiden. We get all that, and it's a it's a plot between him and Hideko to rescue her from the creepy uncle, because she's unhappy yeah and it uh, reframes where Hideko is portrayed as the victim in the first act now Suki is the victim yep. portrayed in the second act and you already have the end result which was given to you at the end of act one yep that, of Suki getting locked up yep and we see Hideko um like when Suki first arrives and gets in we see Hideko's actually watching her and yep. fakes the nightmare to meet her for the first time and mm-hmm. um she we get to hear the letter and like her purposely can you read this knowing what it says yeah and testing her and um we early when she left her um when she dresses her the very first time like helps her pick out her clothes it seems weird because she's like here's this rich woman showing this new handmaiden like all of her stuff yeah but that was in the letter like as often as you can show her all your stuff because uh, he promised her, her everything jewelry, all the mm-hmm. riches yeah. he said you can have all she's of her greedy. stuff mm-hmm. all she wants is yeah and so we see her being manipulated which is so crazy because we just watched where we thought she was manipulating the other girl and that's this movie and it's so impressive and it's so amazing um again just the visual storytelling the the, the acting everything about it is so compelling um and of course, there is the illusion. I think in Act Two is the first time we hear about the basement. The, un- the yes. uncle threatens yes, her yeah. uh, when he goes That's to leave. That's absent from Act One completely. Mm-hmm. And we're like, "What's what's the basement?" Which we we do get to see the basement, which I was very happy because I was yes. worried that we weren't going to yes. get to see the basement. I thought we would just get like an audible oh, telling. And the basement is oh man, oh, man. It's such a great scene. Um, so just this movie. Um, and I think is Act Two where she. Uh, we see how, why the noose was on the cherry tree, or is it Act Three where we see why the noose is on the cherry tree? Ooh, I can't recall when we see. I'm her. pretty sure the noose is in Act Three. Okay, I'm pretty sure it reaches the it reaches the fever pitch, and then we get to see what yeah. happened. Because that I, I really want to talk about the scene so much. So, um, is there anything in Act Two? Well, obviously, we find out that it's Hideko is the the one manipulating everything. Um, 
they do fall in love, but again, Hideko gets mad at her because she well, wants her in, to still marry Count. Act two explores Hideko's position. Mm. And oh, a lot. In, in yeah. the first in the first act, it's you're coming at it from Suki's perspective and you're seeing her coming in and taking pity on this woman who had you know, she explained she's like, I never leave this house but the same paths in different shoes. Like she shows her, her collection of shoes. Yep. So like many the shoes. same, the same paths and new shoes feel like new area. Yeah. 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 Like that's her exploring the world. Is so she's been shoes. completely secluded. So Suki thinks that she's the streetwise, you know, pickpocket girl coming in to hoodwink this lady that's been rich all her life. And she doesn't pity her at all. Cause she comes from nothing. Like her mom was hanged for being a thief and she was taught by other people that lived that lifestyle and brought up in that. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't really pity this woman, but that, that just, man, that lends itself to the power of this movie is how it establishes that connection beyond that, that to where you barely feel separation between the two of them until you see it from Hideko's perspective where she's looking at Sookie and examining her from what she feels versus what she knows Sookie is there to do, which is to, she thinks she's coming there to put her in the mental institution. Yeah. That she's coming to get her money. So she's on the count side mm -hmm. and she's, you know, playing Sookie the whole time. Yeah. And it's, it's man, it's classic female behavior, right? Corey. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I interject? Sure. So, of course. Um, at the beginning of the film, I know this is way back in act one, but there are a couple things, something that, I can't remember what in the third act, um, you know, but at the beginning when he, the Count, was choosing who to take, it seemed to me like Suki was being punished for something. Oh, yeah? At the beginning to me, yeah. And when the um, other girl is like, it should have been me, it should have been oh, me. Yeah. Like, they did something wrong yeah. and Suki's being punished. And I thought that, that too. she wished that Suki wasn't going for that. But also it seemed to me that the count had this long relationship with them, the thieves and the, yes, but that never seemed to be. They all knew they, they were all kind of of the same ilk, but yeah. I think they all had varying degrees of involvement with whatever they mm -hmm. did. Yeah. And the, going back to your point about, it seemed like she was in trouble. We see the soldiers, uh, the Japanese soldiers walking around, and um, I think they yell at a kid or something. Like they they say, "Get out of the way" or "Go home" or something. And so and then we cut to that, and it does make it seem like maybe she's being taken away by the soldiers or something. Um, and it's not until they reveal the plot that I'm like, "Oh, okay, no, this she's she wants to do this. Um, she's got a lot to gain by doing this." Um, yeah, the opening. Yeah, the very opening shot. You're right. It is confusing with the soldiers mm -hmm. marching past, and you're not really sure what's going on because the woman is, but but. The the woman is shrieking and crying and she's saying it should have been me it should yeah. have been me but, so yeah, that's you're like okay we, so she was chosen to do something find out and, and then yeah and then she's the one who's breastfeeding the babies and she's like oh she but, only breastfeeds her own kid she's like I but wish I not could the breastfeed others. all of them yeah yeah and uh, but like she she wants to go because of the money that's the only reason mm -hmm. you know? yeah it's not some like noble like oh no I wish it wasn't you yeah like, but you don't find that out until later which, but but that's that's this movie right that's this I know it's plot. amazing but she's saying like I speak Japanese better like I can I can read and write and uh it's not 
until the story progresses more that you realize, oh, okay, well, he was picking Sookie because she's dumber. Yeah, because she, she could be manipulated. Like she seemed, yeah, someone... she seems like she could be played easier. Yeah, because she has less tools to fight against him. Yeah. Um, but not entirely. And that's... And that she is forgettable. Yeah, yeah, because like no, no nobody cares if she dies, like, really. Um, unless, you know, they'll care if she runs away because they are expecting their cut of this, uh, the action. But they, otherwise, they have no, no stake in uh, Suki at all. Yeah. Um, and the trust that that's explored, she's she, she's the one that's saying from Act 1, like, how could you trust a scoundrel mm -hmm. like the Count? Yeah, yeah. She keeps, like, kind of messing up her plan to a degree because she does keep kind of like, whoa, what? Oh, no, never mind. No, he's great. You should marry him. Um but I th I think that essentially leads us to act well. I do want with um there there is the a very explicit sex scene that has a point of view camera, um that I don't think I'd seen in a movie before, which is uh <laughs> we have a POV of um well the uh, lady groin region, um as we see uh, Suhi's tongue protruding from her mouth in a way that's very explicit and that really to me that shot i was like oh wow this is going to be way more explicit than the first time <laughs> like yeah the biggest crossover of the first portrayal of this encounter with the second is the sound design because mm. in the first act the visuals are not as explicit or graphic by any means but the sound design still is it's very uh <laughs> wet yeah for lack of a better adjective to describe it but you can basically hear everything there's no ambient noise there's no music there's nothing it's all only the sound of them interacting with each other mm -hmm. yeah and you you hear you know sounds that you would i guess expect to hear um, and some very very funny dialogue yeah uh yeah you must be a natural <laughs> They're like, I've oh, never gosh. done this before. <laughs> like, you must be a natural. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the conversation they have during that. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's it's the explicit scene shows up in Act 2, um, and it's it's long. But again, because we've now seen both sides of the love story, and we know how they both are essentially, by falling for the other one, they're betraying their own plans, you know? And yet their love is... Is it boils over and and the sexual encounter explodes? Um, definitely not something either one of them had had it, originally planned. Yeah, it kills every other aspect of the movie. Mm -hmm. It completely mm -hmm. removes you from the the time period, the situation that mm -hmm. they're in, everything that's transpired. It takes you completely out of it. Yeah, and it's it's a really powerful love story in that way. Um, because you you want them to to figure out a way to make it work to be together because Hideko's got a lot of crappy situations coming whether she's with Count or the uncle neither seem great um, Suki doesn't realize she's going to be manipulated by them or yeah and so we get into Act Three and this is where I've been wanting to talk about the cherry tree because this scene mm -hmm. cracked me up it's so um, funny because <laughs> she tells. Um, uh, Hideko to marry the Count and she says even if I love somebody else I think or something like that and Suki's like yes or whatever and she slaps Suki like really hard and we find out she goes to hang herself and right when she uh, falls down yeah, using the rope from the hat box using the rope from the hat box the very thick rope too that looks like it would hurt 
Um, and Suki catches her and is like holding her up so it's not not choking her yet. Um, and Suki's like begging her not to do it, and it's it's very emotional, very powerful. Um, and then at some point, Suki gets excited. I don't remember what's said at that point, but she lets her go. Yeah, releases her yeah. legs. And, like, and I, I don't think I've ever laughed at someone hanging, but <laughs> the way they set it up, I was dying. I was like, oh, my God, she's so stupid. Please don't. I'm like, pick her up, pick her up. <laughs> yeah, and he nailed so much of that very, like, vaudeville kind of humor in mm-hmm. it. And that's why... I, and that just goes to further highlight, like the classicism demonstrated by this movie is the fact that it's based on a novel that's set in Victorian England. That I can't even imagine how that story plays out. Compared I know. To this. Like I, I'm not even curious because I feel like it couldn't be as good as this movie is. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. I'm, I'm so shocked. One, um, I, if you're, if you're listening to this at this point, I think you've realized we all love this movie, and. Um, from every critic that I've heard, it, it's it has like ninety seven or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's been well re- regarded, and South Korea did not enter it in its contention for the Academy Awards. It was not it was not eligible for the best foreign film, um, and very rarely will a foreign film get into the the best picture category. Um, so this movie gets no love anywhere in any of the awards uh, seasons. I don't know. I don't remember what movie South Korea entered. Um, was it Ove something Ove? Oh, was it a man called Ove? I think was so. I Korean? think that's what they. Okay. I might be wrong, but I like. I know it, it. Whatever they nominated did not get into the top five for best foreign film. Um, and so when you see this movie, and you realize that it's not getting any awards love, it is very sad because it, it is definitely one of the best films from last year. Um, it's not my favorite. But it's definitely one of the best films from last year. It could be my favorite, honestly. I, I've seen this more recently than other films from last year. So um, it wasn't on my top five when we did our top five from the year because I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, but it definitely could be without question. It, it's got so many great elements. And um, the fact that they're able to intertwine humor in such a story where there's there's so much emotion, there's so much awfulness, yet there's still a sense of, of humanity in the film. Um but to to wrap up, uh, should we talk about the basement first, or the um, the what the third double cross? Oh yeah, the oh triple gosh. cross. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can naturally assume based on the lengths that they go through to highlight the love between mm-hmm. Suki and Hideko that they have formulated a plot that plays out in the third act where they're going to extract each other from the situation that they found themselves in by playing the doofus, aloof males who think that they've got the one-upsmanship on each other and they're worried about each other competing, which, before progressing, (laughs) I shouldn't mention that besides counterfeiting books for the uncle... The Count was also giving Hideko art lessons, oh, which yeah. was another huge comedic point yeah. where he's trying to teach oh, her yeah. how to paint, and they're showing her pieces that <laughs> she's so painting. <laughs> Wonderful. They're, yeah, they're so rudimentary <laughs> and terrible. And his comments, though, like, because he never, he never lets that, uh, he's like, yeah. oh. He's always <laughs> lavishing all of the praise that he, and oh, adulation man. that he can muster. It's so great. It's, yeah, because uh, it's so 
it's delivered so earnestly. Yet it's I, it's clear like yeah. no one buys it because <laughs> he knows Sook, he knows Sookie's watching and he's trying to work Sookie over because mm-hmm. his plan is with Hideko to get her yep. thinking that you know they have this plot. He's wooing this woman. Anyways, so it plays out that they're helping each other out. She catches her when she's about to kill herself, thinking that you know Sookie doesn't love her. Yeah. Or they don't have each other. And then they find each other in that moment, literally, like, between her death, trying to take her own life, and Sookie keeping her alive and carrying her on. Yeah, and the juxtaposition, again, of this beautiful tree and what is initially a horrific image of a woman hanging herself, only to be then you know, made beautiful by the love that blossoms with the, the cherry blossoms. I mean, it's very metaphorical and, and gorgeous um, and, again, powerful. It, it's the... the the acting, it's very believable that they love each other. Um, Suki's emotion in that moment where she's like, please don't, please don't, please don't. Like, you're just like, oh my God, please don't, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing, too, a two and a half hour movie, I'm watching at home. Um, often I end up on my phone. Like, even if I don't want to, I just, I'll end up like, as the movie starts to hit a, a lull or something, I'll I'll f- I'll feel my hand drifting, and then I'm, <laughs> I, it's like suddenly in front yeah, of me, and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. Um, and I don't do that in the theater because I'm I'm always trying to be very respectful of other people. So that's why I like seeing movies in theaters. It 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 makes me watch, um, for a lot of reasons. Even if the movie's not pulling me in, the the atmosphere makes me watch. So at home, a movie has to be great for me to not want to pick up my phone, and I was never taken out of this movie. I was constantly um, just watching it. I even I had to stop the movie because I actually didn't realize how long it was when I started it, and I had to stop to go get my my daughter off the bus. Um, and so like, I'm like, oh my god, I gotta get back and finish this movie because like I really <laughs> I uh, had to pause because it just got too tense. I just had to mm, walk away for a minute. Yeah, take a breather, huh? Yes. See, I don't know. I, I don't do uh, like thrill rides like you guys. You guys especially know. Um, I don't do roller coasters. Like that's oh not my awesome. thing. I know. I know. I know. But, I'm sorry. Um, th- like thriller movies though, I I do enjoy. Like I love fe- that. To me, that's my roller coaster when I'm on that. When I feel that like sink into my gut, just like oh my god, what's happening? Um, and this movie definitely does that. And especially, um, how how is uh, Hideko gonna get away from Count? And he's he thinks that he's actually won her over, like he thinks you know ah of course oh. you've succumbed to my charm like you see the ultimate oh. the ultimate acting upon acting upon acting where this woman is in the most intricate scenario she's found herself in yeah <laughs> um, where she's spitting spiked poisoned drink into his mouth of a guy that she could barely kiss that she's so repulsed by oh man she could barely feign a kiss to play out their supposed ploy against Sookie to get her locked up and then she's spitting this poisoned wine into his mouth he to was, drug him he was not drinking the wine <laughs> yeah she's trying hard to get him to drink and he just kept you know putting it down putting it down he Finally, was so convinced like, he had her yeah that's his self yeah when she starts spitting in his mouth i'm like are you dumb like if, <laughs> if, if so, like cuz if i kept like cause even she was kind of forcing it i'm like I, you're going to give it away that you have like cuz yeah. if, if you want someone to drink that bad i start you know, maybe I've seen too many movies. I don't know, but I started being paranoid um, for them, and I'm like, okay, she just spit that, and she's baby or you know, mama bird feeding the baby bird you wine. Something's up with the wine, but he he drinks it. It does knock him out. 
and um, all part of the plot. All part of the plot, so she could get away with all the money. I just realized that all the men that this woman has been surrounded by pretty much her whole life have been repulsive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just repulsive. Like, every worst single of one worst. of them. Exploitative of her. Like, yeah. she's there for nothing more than her sexual pleasure. Or not her sexual pleasure. Sorry, that wouldn't be so bad. Their, Their yeah. sexual pleasure. Whether it's visually or audibly, apparently, reading books was, was the uh, the porn of the day. And... Yep. Um, and being forced to read about that intimacy without being able to experience it in any mm-hmm. capacity for yourself until Suki, and that is uh, again the why her love for her is so powerful. Um, she's she's given her happiness for the, probably the first time in her life. Yeah, and the big severing point from that is demonstrated by when they open up that pit and she starts kicking all the books Suki starts throwing all the yes. books in the water oh, I love that scene when they destroy oh, his man. books shivers up my spine <laughs> that that whole sequence like that whole progression to them like getting away and I gotta say too the disguise, the, I man. love the design of that house like when they with the the water underneath that I was just like yeah. that is cool like it is I mean it's an awful place when you when you know what goes on there but like when you're just looking at it like the set design the the production that's this movie could have been nominated for so many different categories on the Academy oh, yeah. Awards um because everything it about like, it it yeah. is it's a period piece. Yeah. So I mean you usually period pieces are raved at the Academy yeah. Awards and it definitely holds up cuz Jackie's a period piece that's set uh Fantastic Beast is is nominated for best um production um and like I'm like this, this movie blows all of those. I haven't seen Jackie to be fair but like I saw it. This movie's way better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and that's what I, I've heard. Natalie Portman's great, and then everything else is like, yeah. Even the like the st- the story's okay, but it, it kind of lulls. And... It had some winning sequences, but it was nothing. I mean, and it's half as long as this movie. And I would have taken this movie twice as long as what it was if it had the same mm. quality throughout. And um, but so back to this third act so we we find out Hideko and and Suki has have their plan to escape together yeah um and we also find out the uncle's got his his crew because yeah um the count wakes up to well, find two other guys and like you said the th- the threat of the basement is given in act 2 in act 2 yep and it's highlighted in act 3 but <sighs> So basically, they escape. The count is left with literally with his pants down, face down on the floor. He wakes up and there's two, two toughs sitting there waiting for him, yeah. and he's like, "Oh no!" And they basically escort him back to the estate where the uncle is, and there is a scene that takes place in that transportation. That is one of my favorite scenes. It made me laugh so hard the first time that I, know, I saw it. I think it. I know what it is. It's the multiple cigarettes? Yes, it's yeah. the multiple cigarettes. I'm like, what is his deal? He pops open his cigarette case and grabs a handful of cigarettes at once and puts them all in his mouth and lights them all up, and he's smoking out this carriage as it takes yeah. him back down to the Count's, or not to the Count, to the Uncle's, mm-hmm. you know. Villa, yeah. house, whatever. Um yeah, and I, when it, that happened, I'm I'm laughing too. So I'm like, "What is this guy's deal?" But I also noted the cigarettes because they give us just enough of a shot that there were five cigarettes. Yep. And two of them had a weird color about yeah, them. Yeah, there were three white and two blue. Yep. And I'm like, "That's weird." But at the same time, I don't know anything about this time period. I don't know what blues. Maybe those that's pot, and the others are tobacco. <laughs> like I have no no clue. Um, but I do know enough about film to, that if he smoked three. And particularly three of the white cigarettes and left two blue, 
that there's a significance to the plot somewhere, and that gets yeah. pretty awesome later. Um, but so we see the basement. Um, one, there's a giant octopus. Yeah, overflowing out of a very undersized uh, terrarium. Which, the scariest part of that octopus is that one of the books that we saw earlier, there was an illustration of an octopus wrapping its tentacles around a woman and doing some hentai-type stuff. And that's what disgusts Sookie to the point where she starts throwing all the books in the water and ripping the pages out. So we can only wonder what the octopus was used for, given the guy's books... Um, and the threat. And the threat. So, uh, yeah. And the octopus seems very, like, grabby anyways. Like, it looks like it's trying to get out real Agitated. hard. Yeah. Well, and so now uh, Hideko's gone. Her handmaiden's gone. And the Count had fled. They fled to elope in Japan while he was off at the gold mine. Yep. And the Count has been caught with his pants down and brought back to the uncle's estate and put in the basement... Locked in this chair within sight of this oversized octopus stuffed in a tank that's way too small. Yeah, the tank is way too small for this octopus. With the uncle sitting across from him at a table and the breakdown occurs. Yeah, the torture um, of what the basement could have been for Hideko. And probably worse for Hideko, um, to be completely honest, because the uncle is a creep. Um but he starts cutting off uh, finger by finger. Yeah. Well, he's got him strapped up to some sort of... It's some sort of printing machine. Yeah. Something something in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Or I don't recall precisely what it was. But he basically like opens up a portion of it that a finger can be slid through yep. and easily removed with yeah. a simple depression of a lever. <laughs> yeah, and so finger at a time... Um, and he, then he wants him to recount. He wants the count to recount um, his sexual ex- experiences with yeah. Hideko, consummating the marriage with Hideko. Yeah, asking some really dirty questions, just being as graphic as this old creep can be. But the count, with his uh, ever-growing ability to read people and play off of them, mm-hmm. seizes that as his opportunity to oh, now I've got this guy. Yep, and he begs him for one of those cigarettes. One of the two blues that he left in that pack. Yeah, because he left him nothing else to give him, just these cigarettes. And the guy grabs a cigarette because he just wants the story, because that's his thing. He loves he loves hearing erotic fiction, um, so he just wants to hear the story of Hideko, and he's asking, again, some very detailed questions about her and their, his experience. And uh, Yeah, and you get the impression that despite the threats and, and the overlying nature of their relationship with her reading the books and him having the books and his you know, pervertedness as it's perceived from the mm-hmm. fringe that he's has not touched her. Yeah. She's been left preserved. She's just been this weird left alone, poor girl raised in this terrible environment. Yeah, but he desperately wants to touch her, but I think he's waiting till they're married, maybe out of like an old sense of honor or respect or something. Or maybe he's never going to touch her. It's it's definitely unclear. Um, maybe he gets off just hearing about it from other people. He doesn't need to, to have the physical contact himself. Oh, the scene where she reads the book and the guys are fanning themselves. Yeah. Oh, and God. falling out. It's very, very comedically done. Yeah. Yeah. And creepily, but in a way that you're like, God, oh, these guys are awful. And it's 
there is a sense of humor, uh, yeah. an air of humor in the in even, the tone. Even with the uncle's inquisition, even when the uncle's chopping his fingers off, there's some sort of comedic element yep. to their whole interaction, and you're like, you know, you don't really know how to read it. Yeah, because the the count's reactions are pained, but they're not. They don't sound like a man who's being tortured. Like he he's even though it looks like he's not in control, he has a plan. Yeah. And um, he's it's like, it's all trying to throw you off of the yeah. cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't think of the cigarettes. And then um, <laughs> the cigarettes are laced with mercury that, in its gases form, will kill a man. But he not only does he get the one cigarette, he gets both. Yeah. And he, he down. when he reveals the, that to the uncle, like, oh, you dummy, you're dead now. And so, of course, so is he. But he was dead no matter what. And that's I love that committal. Like in the car, when you look back at them smoking through cigarettes, he's already knows he's dead. Yep. He's just making sure he doesn't go alone. Like he's taking out the uncle with him if he can, and um, in a way he cements uh, Hideko and on as, his terms. And on his terms, yeah, he's not going to die days later after being starved or whatever. He's going to get it over with Tortured. as soon as um, he does get a little torture, but it it was going to get worse. Could have been worse. Yeah. It was. I think way it was going to get minimal. worse. Yeah. Um. And uh, but he cements H- um, Hideko and Suki's lives by taking out the uncle. Because now oh. they're going to be free. Yeah, yep. he so, can't. He's not going to pursue them. Who would ever think or want to pursue yeah. them? Yeah. So um, we get a happy ending in this very dark kind of movie throughout. Of like you know a lot of this it stuff pulls off as super mega happy ending. It does, and, and in a way that is satisfying, completely believable, and um, not. It doesn't feel like like they don't go back to the mansion and kill the uncle themselves. Like no, it, nope. it, it's resolved in a way that. You feel like, man, these guys got what they deserve. They underestimated these females, and now they've brought, because of that, they've brought doom to themselves. Yeah, these men, they bring each other destruction. Mm-hmm, because they, 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 one, they looked down on the females, they thought of them as property, um, a tool to an, a goal that they had, and nope, they are not. They are very strong women who, um, while they appeared to be submissive, were always scheming and working their way uh, to freedom. And powerful love story a beautiful movie so many different ways around it, it's it, i mean i love twist i do um is one of the reasons why i was initially attached to m night Shyamalan. and the twists in this movie are just mind-boggling and again like you said going seamless. back yeah seamless and watching them you see how so seamless. effective and and i'm curious to see how you guys feel about this but as far as the way that the twists add to the story and reformat everything that happened before it yeah. It didn't I, it feel reminded, repetitive. It reminded me, and obviously the content, the story, way different, but of Interstellar. Mm. Of the way oh. that movie had so many tricks up its sleeve that reformatted stuff that you had already witnessed. Yep. That the replay value, it all adds back in, like that emotional factor gets multiplied whenever you watch it again. Which Interstellar is on my top five movies of all time. It's in Ever. My, yeah, like ever. I love that film, and that was definitely one of the reasons because it did that. And now it did that within the, the time element that, like, it played with time. This movie does it for us. Like, we are privy to the extra information, but it does have that same feel as a result because as an audience, we get the same reaction. We're both seeing things that. Um, it gives you this simple story, and by the end, it's become so complex. Mm hmm. And and then when you look back, like how could they have set this up? They must have messed something up. There's no way if you watch this, it's gonna play <laughs> yeah. through. And no, right? Even though I've only watched it the once, I can like I remember because the movie was so captivating. I remember a lot of the the elements in detail. And again, it should be noted, 
Well, you, last time you saw this was in like this October, right? October, yeah. And so, and then Corey and I watched it not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before. So it's been um, by the time you're hearing this podcast, it's been two weeks since we've seen this movie, and yet we're able to recount a lot of detail. So uh, vivid because it's su- it's it sucks you in, and it you are, and again, um, the reason I don't like having sex scenes in film is when you recommend it. It comes across it like that's why you know? seems crass, yeah. yeah. And and well, that comes from us being like you know born in the the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah. Well, U.S. sensibilities not, with sex. Not it's, necessarily that. I was gonna say born in the era where we were exposed to like the high rash of uh, '80s and '90s action uh, movies, where yeah. they throw in like the gratuitous nudity to I mean, sort of <laughs> justify the R rating and all the slasher yeah. flicks from the '80s where there's nudity. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, the moral lesson of those films was that you shouldn't have sex because don't like, have sex, someone yeah. will kill you. But nonetheless, it was like, yeah, but really, it's just you want to have boobs everywhere, and that that true, but also American sensibility, sex is very taboo in America. Yeah, where in other countries, it is it is. Uh, I mean, God, it's natural. It's it's how we exist because without sex, there's no people. You know, it is um, it is much more accepted in other countries where violence is aboard, which makes a lot more sense. Um, but somehow we got that skewed here. Backwards. But, um, and I know that. But the Handmaiden finds that balance between sex and violence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect American movie. Um, oh gosh, just enough uh, sexual tension and and whatnot. Um. This is the second South Korean film that I saw this year, um, and I actually saw Train to Busan before this one, um, and both are amazing. Um, I, I can't. I, 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 our our buddy and podcast buddy Mike is a big fan of Korean films, and I have not seen many. Um, I don't think I've seen any other than the two that I've just mentioned, and I am sold though. Uh, there, the filmmaking is impressive. Um, the writing is amazing. The I'm mean, God. The acting. I, I love zombie movies. Um, I I say that, and I should say I love a very select group of zombie movies. Um, there's a lot of zombie movies that don't deserve to be considered at all, as they are cheesy B movies. And th- there's a place for those, mind you. But I'm saying, like, as far as like high quality films, um, you know, you have the obvious, the Night of the Living Dead, um, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead from Romero. Uh, I I enjoyed World War Z, although it has lots of problems. I was able to get past many of them. Um, I am a sucker for Brad Pitt for some reason. Fight Club is the reason. Who am I kidding? Um, and I, 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 there's another zombie movie that I like. That um, and of course there's the ones that are you have to debate: are they zombie movies? Uh, well, twenty eight days, days twenty eight weeks. weeks. Um, but Train to Busan is easily one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen, and mainly because of the characters. Um, the actors bring these amazing characters that you actually care if they die by a zombie bite. Like you, a lot of zombie movies, like you really don't care. You're, you're almost anticipating who dies next versus Mm. like, I don't want them to die next. It's almost like, yeah, who's, what's the next death going to be? How is the zombie going to get them? Um, you're almost rooting for the zombies and the train to Busan. That is not the case. It is a great character acting. And I only bring that up because that seems to be a trend because the characters here are again, amazing. You're attached to all of them. Um, they do so much so quick, even because again, at the very beginning of the film, you're I'm I was attached to Suki by the time she became the official handmaiden when she walked into the house for the first time. I was already like, man, this this character is really interesting. I want to see what's going to happen to her. And 
there are American films that do that too. And I see a lot more American films. So there could be just as many South Korean films that don't succeed at this. But the two that I've seen from this year both succeed at making me care about the characters. And that makes the movie, um, it makes the stakes of the movie so much more important when you care the outcome. Because the movie that Corey and I both hated this year. Mm, we're about to get rocks thrown at us. Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know it's about to happen. We hated. I hated. I'm so, I'm so baffled by you guys not liking that well, movie. None of my complaints are about the, the, the production or anything like that. It is strictly <laughs> as a narrative. I didn't care. I could care less if those characters died. And but so, then I was talking about that because that was my whole problem with the movie. But they're going to die anyway. So hmm. that... I, that's what some what was yeah, said to me. Well, they were going to die stuck. anyway, so why would they so want you to get attached to them? On. Yeah, well, and that, that was part of what I liked about it. But see, I, I felt like it wanted to be a suspense thriller, and that's what people were like. Oh, I was on the edge of my seat. I'm like, see, I wasn't because I didn't care what happened. Mm. I was just watching. Like, I, I mean, I, Corey gave it our lowest rating, which is avoid like the play. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it. I gave it the decent watch. Because I'm again, finally gonna get hate mail now. And at Corey R Star to our man. I've <laughs> I've grown to hate the film more because of how many people were giving it so much praise. Like <sighs> that that put a bitter taste in my mouth because I'm like, I, did you see Green Room? And people are like, no. I'm like, well, that's a better then shut thriller. Up. Like if if I oh boy, I'm dropping stuff. No. Um. Well, from a technical standpoint, it was it was yes. very well executed, and I. I can understand your argument of not caring about the characters, but I guess from my perspective when I was watching it was that that is what furthered it to me because the suspense came from ones who was actually going to come out on top because the way that they pit them against each other. That's interesting. Actually, is, looking at it like a King Kong versus Godzilla type of movie. Yes, yeah. It's these three mm. chumps are strolling into this dude's house, and that's his territory and they're thinking, oh, we're working over this blind guy, and little do they know that this guy's, you know, super ex-military. I'm gonna rope my way around the house and throw you out the window. Now, I mean, I also didn't like. There's a. I have apparently a very specific taste in horror genres, which I guess that movie qualifies as horror over thriller. But um, is I, I also didn't like. Um, it follows, which was critically acclaimed. I love that. And movie. I didn't, I didn't care for the witch last year, which was critically acclaimed. I wasn't too over, to, over the top about that. Everyone one is like best horror movie ever, best horror movie yeah. ever. And again, that that one might have suffered from being overhyped for me because that's I heard so much about it that I went in with a lot of expectations. And yeah. I'm not a fan of witch films as a general thing like that. The like I love zombies, witches don't really do it for me, um, but. I yeah. didn't think it was bad or terrible. No, but same I, production's I good. Just, it's I a period piece, um, and the atmosphere was interesting. I did have an issue with the dialogue, though, like because yeah. the guy's accent. I was like, I don't know what's what he's saying, so I have no no investment at all because I don't know what's happening. Like that, and that could that's on me, I guess. I or well, sound no, mixing. because I think coupled with that was having children performing that dialogue, mm -hmm. and you know the central character the girl also she, star is split yeah yeah she was able to pull it off but the younger brother mm -hmm. he was struggling yeah big and time. the dad's and he accent, had a lot of dialogue yeah he did and the dad's accent really killed me too i didn't didn't care for him but um 
I think that is our review of The Handmaiden. Um, before we completely wrap up, we're going to give our rating. So, Brandon, I know you've, you've read the site some. Uh, we go from Avoid Like the Plague is our lowest rating. Uh, not a total waste of time is our, like, two-star, essentially. Decent watch. Not quite Golden Pony Boy, which is a great reference that I made. And um, our must-see is a rating. So we'll start with our guest who recommended this film. What do you rate the Handmaiden. Oh yeah, it's definitely must see, hundredfold. It was my favorite movie of last year. Corey, I'm gonna go with must see also. And my review has been up for over a week, and it is must see uh, without question. I was completely blown away by that movie. Um, I'm hoping that you, the listener, have already watched this film, especially if you've listened to this, because we have gone through I think almost moment by moment um, enough that we, we, if you haven't seen it, we kind of gave it to you for free. Um, but it is a fantastic film. Again, it's not for the faint of heart. There is some ex- some extreme violence. There is definitely some explicit sex. Uh, but if you can, uh, if you're a, a movie watcher, if you love awesome story, awesome narrative, great cinematography, beautiful visuals, and great sound mixing, um, there's there's nothing in this film that's bad. Um, you you should definitely check it out. I would say this is a blind buy. Um, don't mm-hmm. even don't waste. I rented it because I had a free. Uh, fandango now code from t-mobile um but if i had spent money on renting it i would have been very disappointed because i would have wished i had just bought it um and i will be buying it soon because it is definitely one that i will rewatch. and it's not one i get to teach unfortunately um at least not until i start teaching college (laughs) at some point i feel Um, like you should definitely send some (laughs) um you know permission slips home for this one well every movie i show my kids does do just say it's a masterpiece it, it, I could argue that. Masterpiece of modern cinema. And, well, and that's, sign. The shame is that it, it it is, and not nearly enough people have seen this. I, I would venture to say mostly film critics have seen this, um, or people who either are former film critics and trying to get back into film criticism, or um, <laughs> are, uh, you know, more likely the art house crowds, which um, <laughs> we, you know, it's something that, this is a film that, any year before this last year of my life where I've really invested my, my world into movies, I probably would have not seen this. And I am so glad that I've, I've come a much farther way where I'm not just looking, just seeking out the big blockbusters. Um, I'm looking for movies like this. In fact, I have found that indie movies are generally where I find the most attachment, um, you know, between me and Earl and the dying girl, same cinematographer, uh, the way, way back. Um, you know, these are movies that uh, even going as far back to Juno, where I really attach to the characters and and find pure joy in the rewatches of those movies, all of them. And now, not necessarily these. This is the same type of movie, but as far as the fact that it's character driven, awesome narrative, uh, beautifully shot. There's it's just there's nothing like it. Yeah, and by the end, you know the secret of uh, the rope with the three bells. Yeah. <laughs> oh heavens! The Benoit balls have actually. <laughs> Uh, man, as a kid, you know, I had Benoit balls and they weren't on a rope. Um, now I'm I'm like, wait, are they not what I thought? Like, <laughs> I thought they were a hand exercise. What's going on? Oh. But yeah, um, it, it's a movie that you should invest in. We invested almost two hours on this podcast that you are now listening to. Um, we want to remind you that you can find uh, me on Twitter at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey R. Star hate mail, welcome. <laughs> you can send all the hate uh, towards Corey's way. Uh, <laughs> she wants you to feel the dark side. And 
Um, Brandon, I, I know you're not on Twitter. Do you have any social media you want to give out to the listeners, or you want to stay quiet? I don't. You can catch me around. There you go. Uh, he, he might be on the website from time to time. We're hoping to get him right in a little bit. Um, and he'll probably show up later on this podcast again, and maybe on a top five in the future, as uh, there are times where uh, Corey or Mike is not available. So, um, Yeah, gladly. You can always email me, though, at Burke at BurkeReviews.com, and if you have any questions for Brendan, um, if you want you know, to hear his soothing voice yet again, um, <laughs> it, it is, uh, we are, Brendan and I are hoping uh, to really hit the film festival hard this year. The Florida Film Festival is coming up in April. Um, we got to see a few movies last year. I'm hoping to see a few more. Um, I did buy, uh, you saw last year, Badlands, uh, Ter- Terrence Malick's Badlands. Yes. Because of um, Sissy Spacek was there, right? Yeah, and I had never seen it before. And I have not watched it. Uh, I didn't get to go to that event with you, but I, I got it for my class the other day. Um, so I have a copy on DVD now in my classroom. So I'm planning on watching that myself pretty soon. I actually got a few awesome movies. Um, uh, 400 Bicycle, no, The Bicycle Thief. And then the 400 blows I, I just nice. got from my classroom. So um, looking forward to finally getting to see some of those classic films. And I'm currently teaching my students Singing in the Rain, um, which has been awesome to watch a room full of kids uh, attached to a 1952 musical because it is so freaking great. Um, yeah. And I can't wait for La La Land to come out because I think it'll have a similar vibe to them. Yeah, you uh, can't not be mesmerized by tap dancing. It, man. <laughs> It, it's something I'll tell you. Like you wouldn't think. Like like let's watch tap dancing. Like yeah, no, you wouldn't flip through a guide and be like, all right, tap dancing. That's what yes. I'm gonna put on. Awesome. But uh, when it's put in front of you, it's 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 crazy. Especially when um, t- uh, Debbie Reynolds was not a dancer before that movie, and that is just an interesting fact. I we are rambling because we love movies, people. But yeah, we won't shut up. Um, BurkeReviews.com. <laughs> we write reviews uh, frequently. Um, I write more than anybody, but I'm trying to get some new writers. So if you are a writer and you're interested in writing for the site, please feel free to email me a sample of your um, writing. Um, you can follow us, me on Letterboxd as well if you want to just keep up with what I'm watching because I don't write a review for everything I'm watching this year since I'm not in the middle of a crazy challenge like I did last year. But um, you can see what movies I'm watching. I will tell you, I, uh, my review for Gone Baby Gone went up this morning. Um, I watched that for the first time last night, and I loved that movie so much um was completely blown away at how good that was and kind of saddened that ben affleck seems to be going down with his directing I say, that was my favorite ben affleck me too movie. it was the uh, the only one i haven't seen is live by night but i've heard not so great things um like i like argo fine the town's cool but gone baby gone was like i was literally so on the edge of my seat for part of that movie but Corey, uh do you have anything to add before we sign you off no. Oh, not even about your boy Casey Affleck being gone, baby. I do. Gone. What? What Ka- about Casey the Aff- movie? Casey Affleck's in Gone Baby Gone. That I was just talking about. Yeah, I know. I need to rewatch that movie. It's been a really long time. Um, and then also, I'm really intrigued by the ghost. Is it called Ghost Story with he and Rooney oh, Mara? Yes, it is. Uh, a ghost story it looks really interesting. Um, I want to hear more about that. That was uh, well, I heard. Battleship Pretension, um, the podcast that I listen to, and I'm a big fan of. If you're really into film, I definitely recommend listening to those guys as well. Um, the uh, David went to Sundance and um, with their editor in chief Scott, and they were talking about the movie. And the premise is so cool because it's a legitimate ghost. Like Casey Affleck dies in a car accident early in the film, like very early in the film, and he comes back as a ghost. But for the effect of him being a ghost. 
they went with the old school white sheet with holes cut out of it. So and that's <laughs> all I've seen was like a still of that. So like, you just have and and they there's no information yet as to did Casey Affleck actually film all the scenes of him. Oh, <laughs> I hope he did. Because that's amazing, right? Like this. I hope he did. Now, most likely, an Academy Award winning actor will have been <sighs> in a movie where he's wearing a sheet as a like. <laughs> cheapest costume ever the the fact that that's what they chose to do with today's technology is is so great like that makes that i so think of beetlejuice the story sounds really yes except except he's not doing it jokingly like he's legitimately that's yeah. what ghosts look like ghosts are sheets like you can even see his feet like it's not like they digitally removed them I'm, I'm assuming at least that's the poster for the movie you can see his feet so i only assume that that holds up oh it's the poster um okay. Yeah, it's it's great. I I am very intrigued by the premise. It's supposed to be like a very sweet um, love story that turns into a ghost story. I think uh, by the mm-hmm. end. Um, but yeah, Rooney Mara, Casey F, like uh, so many so many things to talk about. We'll be back next week with oh man, Corey, what movie are we watching next week? Because I totally didn't think to look at that. I'm pulling <laughs> it up horrible. now. Pulling it up. Oh, Hang on. Um, okay. Trying to hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I thought. I thought it was John. Nope. The next week is John Wick. Uh, Wick. I think this week was Coraline is what I chose, but we can go oh. with something else. Well, nice. we we have to pick something right now, so I don't think we we're can. We're going to go with Coraline. We're going to rewatch Coraline, which is good. Because... I've never watched it. Really? What? I've never seen it, guys. I wanted to see it in theaters when it came out, and I missed it, and oh. then I never got around to seeing it, so here we are. Well, that is interesting. Okay. Well, I've only actually seen it once all the way through, and... um. There was some controversy on the website over that my review of that movie as well. What? It was my first negative comment um, that I had received on the website where someone did not agree with me, and it's one of Brendan's friends uh, that we saw Midnight Special. Yeah, with, he's a uh, jerk. I was, a little, I was like, wow, I, I don't expect negative comments from people I've actually met. <laughs> but, oh, um, tomatoes. Yeah, but uh, I, I feel like I have become a very big fan of Leica. I still have not watched the box trolls, though. Um, but I, I love Kubo and the Two Strings. It was in my top five uh, for movies from last year. Um, so rewatching Coraline is very appealing. And I will admit, when I watched it my first time, I was not in the mood to watch it. Mm. And I was not giving it my full attention. So I am going to give it my full attention this time around. Um, and that's great. So And that's one I can probably watch with my daughter again because she loves that movie. Oh, uh, um, yeah. That movie, I was way over the top about that the first time I saw it. And I, I love, though, that I've heard, because Coraline is most people's of the four that Leica has done. That is usually the big one. Now, not enough people saw Kubo, and that's just a tragedy because that movie's amazing. Yeah. Um, Paranorman is really good, though. Um, I just rewatched that with my daughter recently, and I had also not given that my full attention. Um, Kubo is the only one I got to see in the theater, and I definitely think that helped me get For past sure. that, you know, <laughs> give it attention kind of thing. But, um, Coraline uh, appealed to – I don't know what it was about it that didn't pull me in initially, That why I didn't see it when it came out. Um, like the other ones, like Paranorman feels like it's meant for kids when you see the trailer, and the box trolls seems like it's really meant for kids when you see the trailer. Um, I don't know if it is. Well, you could take this into your next viewing of Coraline is when it was originally being made, it was supposed to be a musical. Oh, like oh. a complete musical with all the music done by They Might Be Giants. Really? And by the end of production, they ended up using oh, none of their songs. That's crazy. Didn't yeah. they there's release like a, that? There's a, 
I, I think they may have in some capacity, but yeah. That's they really composed an entire soundtrack of songs that didn't get used for the movie. If you were to play the soundtrack and watch the movie, oh, I couldn't even imagine. I wonder if it if it syncs up, <laughs> man. Like Pink Floyd, Wizard of Oz, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, but uh, play it backwards. I I am I'm I'm very excited. So the reason we're talking about all this, by the way, uh, listener, if you're new to this format, the idea is we're telling you what our episode next week will be about. And we would love to hear from you. So we gave you our Twitter uh, earlier, and we gave you our email. The website's BurkeReviews.com. We would love for you to send us your reviews and your thoughts on Coraline. Um, even the dude who gave me the negative comment. We'd love to read your thoughts about this movie, and we'll you know juxtapose it to our own thoughts of this film. And I'm, I'm excited, because this will be my second viewing, but Corey, having never seen this, there's a lot at stake here, um, because it feels like a movie Corey would love. Yeah. You guys I know not to totally say that. Agree. You're just setting me up for disappointment. <laughs> well, I mean, you do know it's the same director from Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. So I think that's why James I, I initially wanted to see it, to be honest. Why you but didn't? that was a million years ago. Why, you... why I wanted to. Oh. Yeah, well, for a long... Most people, if you if you walk up to your average movie watcher and ask who the director of Coraline is, they will say Tim Burton. Um, almost explicitly because of the connection to Nightmare Before Christmas because they also think he directed that. Yep. But... You know, that's because his name's on on the box because he wrote it. But, um, yeah, so he did not write Coraline. That was Nightmare Before Christmas I was referring to there. Just to clarify, nobody kill me, please. I swear I know that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so interesting pick. It'll, it'll be our first animated movie for the, this podcast, too. So that's another uh, milestone. Um, and, yeah, all right. Well, um, if you would, if you like the podcast, share it with your friends. Um, we don't usually hit the two hour mark, but three people talking definitely, uh, expanded that a little bit. So we're, we're wrapping up here. Um, tech back next week for our episode on Coraline. Corey, thanks a lot. Thank you. And Brandon, Bye guys. thanks for coming. Oh, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. And good night. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.